Welcome to the Nerds Podcast number 515, this Wednesday, May 7th. Um, I feel like I should be promoting a monster truck pull or some type of Nitro Funny Car race, but uh, I'm actually promoting that we are relaunching the Nerdist website on May 7th, completely redesigned with a snazzy mobile experience, cleaner. We're kind of evolving from a turbo blog into really, you know, more of an online magazine source of, um, you know, breaking news and we're hiring a bunch of new people, different nerdists, experts, science, uh, gaming, um, movies, like all these really great things that I've always wanted to do. So I'm so, so, so excited about it and I hope you like the site. Um, and, you know, if it's buggy for a couple days, that always happens when, you're, when you make a massive move from Turboblog to site. But, um, but it should stabilize pretty quickly, and I'm, I'm very excited about it. I hope you like it. It'll be a very clean uh, experience, and uh, so let us know. Let us know what you think. Um, uh, also, a bunch of live shows coming up. We're performing as part of the Wild West Comedy Festival at midnight, live May 16th and 17th. And I'm doing Stamp at Wise Guys in West Valley City, Utah, the 29th through the 31st. So go to Nerdist.com. Oh, and then Helium in Portland, June, June 12th, 13th, 14th. Uh, go to Nerdist.com slash calendar. And if it's after the... Oh, I think that's still going to be the URL. Let's say that it is. <laughs> Let's say that that'll still be the URL for that. I'd like to thank for sponsoring a new sponsor, this episode of the Nerdist pod- Podcast, Trunk Club. Trunk Club is where, uh, if you're a dude and you would like to discover awesome clothes and get help from a personal stylist uh, and you don't have to go to a store or anything, you go to Trunk Club. It takes the guesswork out of shopping. Uh, There's no upfront commitments or shipping costs. You basically just go there. It's a monthly subscription service. You answer a handful of questions and then they assign a stylist to you who will send you clothes. They send you clothes uh, and then that's it. It's that easy. And, you know, you just sort of develop a relationship with them where they figure out more and more the type of stuff that you that you want. Honestly, don't go to the store and then spend money on stuff that you're not sure about and then be stuck with stuff that you never wear. You'll get a dedicated stylist. It's, the clothing is awesome. Um, I'm, I've just set up my first one. I'm going to try it. I think Matt and Jonah are trying it as well. But I went to the website. It was great. Super easy. Um, so that's it. Trunkclub.com and uh, forward slash Nerdist. Again, that's trunkclub.com. Dot com forward slash Nerdist. So thank you to Trunk Club for sponsoring this episode of Nerdist Podcast, and uh, and enjoy your snazzy new style. Uh, this is a this was a super fun podcast with John Favreau, who it turns out actually listens to the podcast, and and not just in a casual way. He was quoting stuff that you would really have to be a deep trench Nerdist Podcast listener to know, and it always blows me away when. People that I know know the thing that I do. Um, but what a fantastic, wonderful, I'm going to fucking say it again, delightful guest. He was goddamn delightful. Why would I use a different word when delightful is the perfect one? I know I use it a lot, but it's appropriate a lot. Um, John directed a movie called Chef that uh, Joan and I went and saw together, which was great. Uh, it opens May 9th. But so interesting to see, like... You know, just doing like a giant blockbuster movie, and then and then you know, Favreau writes, stars, and directs this this much smaller movie that's a more intimate story that was really really fantastic. Um, just about a guy uh, kind of getting his life together in in the culinary world, and uh, and the soundtrack was amazing, and it was just a really great great little movie. So May 9th, uh, that opens, and uh, yeah, here we go. And the and you know normally. I always feel bad, like, oh, I don't want to keep people too long, and, you know, but John really, he really seemed like he genuinely wanted to be there from start to finish, so this is a nice, 
this is a nice long chat, and uh, and and in, for, to be there, it never felt like it sagged. Like the only sagging part right now is this intro. So I'm going to shut up now and give you John Favreau, episode 515 of the Nerdist podcast. Now entering Nerdist.com. Oh my god, you're wearing an Aspen shirt. I am. I mean, that's a shorthand, that's a comedian shorthand for U.S. Comedy Arts Festival in Aspen, Colorado. Yes. May it rest in peace. I was hoping people would just assume that was just like an Aspen, Colorado shirt that you got at the airport. That's right. (laughs) Yeah. My my parents went to Aspen and all I got was this. this You know what's interesting? Yes. Oh, good. What's interesting is we actually kind of uniquely occupy the same overlapping Venn diagram of comedy and nerddom yeah. that many, right? Because most of you guys, when I listen to the show, the cast, the pod, <laughs> I listen to the, whatever we're doing now, and the, there seems to either be a geek element to it or mm-hmm. there's a comedy element to it. Usually, And I like both because yeah. I get both. Well, well you're a people, D&D guy, right? Why do we we had to go right there? Yeah, didn't well, we? Yes, well, you yes you set the table for for D. That, that's talk. how you know I'm I'm not deep nerd because I still feel uncomfortable. I've had dreams where I'm playing and I wake up feeling dirty. <laughs> <laughs> Did I talk to my sleep? Did you hear it? Did I cast a spell? Was yeah. there a saving throw? Because twice I dice in your bed. My wife would never have been with. I don't think I think I'm the first. But well, maybe not. That's not true. But it's I feel very self conscious about. That moment in my life because I was so unabashedly enthusiastic about it and then slowly realized that that was the first group I attached myself to in high school and then later years later found out what others thought of of, of, the, of the click I chose and then later a lot of those people would then come that's to see, right uh, films like uh, but Iron they Man. also became were uniquely qualified to actually create worlds and and understand game balance and all the and entertaining a group of people through storytelling that they're participating in. So between that and, and my improv background from when I spent time in Chicago, those two things that I thought were maybe more of indulgences ended up really giving me a very solid skill set that's uniquely qualified for the type of filmmaking that's very popular now. Yeah, because, I mean, D&D is sort of like, uh, I think it can be like when someone says, I'm doing a one-man show. Like, the, <laughs> the wrong one is, is deadly, to be around, but yeah. the right ones are incredible. Like such a, I mean, it's the perfect. It's the it's sort of the nexus of of math and fantasy as well. Well, the one the one time I thought about it could be cool was I. It was on your show. It was George R R Martin. Wasn't he talking about? You really do listen to the yeah, show. Yeah, he talked about that. He has a game, and they come up with games. Yeah, and he's got. And he's for real. Like wait, that's oh, the wait, real wait. guy. Like yeah, well, yeah. I remember dudes like that, and he's yeah. like the fantasy. Of someone who got out of their their parents' dining room running yeah. the game yeah. and actually like made a whole world that everybody uh, is invited into yeah. and but he is he gets he's got his street cred I think oh there's no question yeah I mean it, even just in the like the I think the the the, the terminal that he writes on and the old program that he writes mm-hmm. on like everything about it is just like he's and he's kind of frozen in that time period no he's got the attitude perfect <laughs> yeah like when you really hear him not like I'm not talking about like when he's doing um, 
you know, like additional content for the, you know, for upcoming up on HBO. You right. know? But when you talk to him for a while, he's got the whole like not judging himself at all and oh, completely buys into the reality of the world. And, and what's amazing is that it's such a from a storytelling standpoint. I, I reference Game of Thrones a lot, um, even in genres that have nothing to do with it, because what he does is like what Hitchcock did with Psycho, which is he will constantly tee you up in a way. And, and the way that the storytelling marketplace is now, everything has to be very predictable, marketable. You, you tend to fall into patterns with movies that you see. Mm-hmm. They, it's like rock and roll songs. They all have the same structure. They all have the same length. You know what's going to happen halfway through. You know it's going to start with a car chase or an adv- and a mid-act climax. He knows that fantasy has all those tropes, and he will lull you down a path where you think you expect what's going to happen, and then he just completely he he, yeah. he 180s on you. And I remember when uh, spoiler alert for season one, sure. Sean Bean uh, gets his uh, gets his uh, gets killed. Ned Stark and. Uh, every cut that leads, I'm like, how is they get? How are they gonna get out of this? Yeah. They're really cornering themselves. Like, <laughs> like I'm like, they're, they're gonna jump the shark. I'm like, she's not that good with a sword yet. <laughs> I you said out loud. I said him. when that happened, I said out loud. I was like, I don't think they're allowed to do that. <laughs> no, like, no. What are you doing, Double R? Yeah, yeah. No, and doing? actually, uh, it, 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 it's um, even in I, the, the the thing I've, I've, I've done most recently that's coming out, Chef, that we'll talk about later. I hope. Yeah, is, we saw it. It's great. We'll yeah, talk yeah, thank you, thank yeah. you. Uh, but there's a whole storytelling thing where you're building towards an outcome that in a normal movie would happen, and it's very hopefully confusing and off-putting when things don't turn out. Uh, you're surprised by the course of the way the movie goes. And when we were in the editing room on that, I, I kept saying, you got to play it as they did in Game of Thrones, where it, it's building to that moment as though something's going to save him. And you've even laid breadcrumbs with, uh, with her training, uh, with the daughter's training with the sword, and people who you're cutting to in the crowd. You're waiting for, you know, Jack Sparrow to, to swing in on a rope <laughs> yeah. and, and, and save him, and, 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 or, or the, you know, the, the sharpshooter to shoot the noose. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But it never, it never happened, and it, and it has the same effect of, like, the Twilight Zone episode. Was it Twilight Zone, or was it an episode where you, they say they're going to rescue the kid from the hanging in the Western, I don't know. Oh, I think that was Twilight. I think that was Twilight. Was it Twilight Zone? And they don't. It's like you're so shocked because you're so used to the tropes of a Western of being that. Yeah. And so he does it over and over. And now what's really impressive is that you know it's coming. So now you're not, you know, you're never relaxing. You're always watching. And then, and then the Red Wedding just knocked me on my ass again. <laughs> like, so, I, you know, it, it's, it's a real, so, you know, again, for George R. R. Martin, who I've never met, but it the the store and and of, of course Benny Off and, and everybody involved, it it's just a testament to not just the way it's executed, but messing with the form and the structure. And don't you feel like that there is an there is kind of a difficult line to ride? I think between not being too predictable, but also not going so far off the map that people are like, "Oh, go fuck yourself." You know what I mean? Like where people just can't. They just don't want it. It is tricky, you know, and, the, and the, it's always, um, I remember a, a show I, I really enjoyed, Deadwood. You oh, know, that was, there were, I, I was with it, and I love Milch, and I love his whole thing, but there was a, a lot of the criticism that people who gave up on it or didn't hang with it till the end was that you're going too far afield from what the underlying expectations are. I, I, I didn't feel that way personally, but with with this one he seems to really stick with the with the genre very strongly um, and 
very deeply and effectively and then and then throws you enough curves to make it well first of all make it that you want to see it when it's when it's on yeah. and not yeah. and not get spoiled by having to avoid Twitter for, you know, until you get to your DVR. <laughs> and I even found myself sitting there, um, only slightly less embarrassing than playing Dungeons and Dragons, sitting there with my tablet on my knees and pausing the show so I could watch the, uh, the the second screen content. Oh yeah, yeah. Screen. I've never tried that. Yeah, I've it, never done that. That, that was me. I was there, like looking at. Well, also because I have a terrible memory, and I was like, "Who's that?" Like, I, and it's amazing how much I enjoy it without knowing half of what's going on. Yeah, any I, of these I shows. I don't know who these people it's, are, it's but one of my great. favorite shows where I don't know the names of anybody. No, I don't. And I feel you know. And then you meet them. And you play uh, that guy. Don't you, uh, don't, don't you sometimes as a director though just kind of have these weird fantasies where you, so you take a movie like Chef, which is a very it's a very real story. But just does one part of you at the end go, what if Leguizamo showed up with three dragons? Like, out of nowhere. <laughs> and the audience like, what? You know? You do, you know, you ha- you, you, I've done it, and, and uh, versions of that. And, and then you're forced to, because that was, really, that's what the I Am Iron Man thing was. That wasn't originally part of the Iron Man uh, 1 script. And we just said, let's try it. Why not do it? And there was a freedom in, in that. And, and the Nick Fury thing wasn't much different than that. It was like, you know what would be good for the fans? Let's get, let's see if Sam Jackson will come in. Just for after Easter egg after the credit thing. And then, of course, then you actually inherit that logic and the canon of the film world. And then you have to backfill into, into those areas. But, but that reckless uh, creative abandon, I think, is what gives... All, all stories of spontaneity that people demand now because people are just too are, – are, are such students of, of, of the medium that they kind of know – there's not a lot of things you could pull because all the stories have been done and done well now over and over again and you're, you're facing similar challenges. So anytime you get through a curveball that's inspired and surprising – and at the same time, f- does not feel like it conflicts with the with the internal logic of the thing. Yeah. That, that's that's the type of that's the type of filmmakers I like to watch. Yeah. Well, that, and that, that's what Vince Gilligan was masterful at yeah. with Breaking Bad. Is yeah, like, for sure. Is is because um, I saw a lot of other shows around the last couple seasons of Breaking Bad that would try to do these crazy turns, but just didn't quite have. Vince's finesse That's right. at justifying. That's right. You know, like, go, what the fuck's going on? Oh, you've just explained that perfectly, and now I think there could not possibly be any other answer than that one. Yeah, yeah. It, he was good. I mean, like, Sopranos was great at throwing you curves, but there were there were ends that never, much like in life, that were never addressed again. So you never knew who or what was going to come back. But that was also a, a big step forward from what you're used to in, in that type of storytelling. And then, and then with Vince Gilligan. There was an incredible, you know, mathematic efficiency to the way things came back and paid off that I thought was great. And, you know, you've talked to the guy. He doesn't, you can't imagine. He's such a nice, sweet, soft-spoken guy. It's like, how does this come out of this guy's head? He just, he's just like, I don't know. Like, he just has this, he's got the perma smile. guy at a guitar shop in Austin. That's what I'm kind of like. I don't know. It's it's funny, too, because it's like, it's like you have, uh, like, rock groups got... Could only go so far with the two-minute rock song, you know, rock and roll song, mm-hmm. where you had the standard, you know, you had the the the, the lyric, the bridge, the the chorus, chorus. There was a very limited structure, 
And then it's almost like when uh, album rock came out, like Dark Side of the Moon, or even like rock operas like mm-hmm. Tommy yeah. or The Wall, the, it opened up a whole new pasture of room for uh, inspiration and, and creative freedom. And I think what's happening now in, in television, especially cable or, or new media, Netflix, you're, you're not confining the storyteller any longer to this hour-and-a-half format or hour format or really 44-minute format or 22-minute format, depending on if you're talking about movies or hour television or half-hour television. And so you're getting this – and I think the audience has tremendous capacity to organize these things, and you could cut things much quicker and shoot them much more beautifully – because audiences, I think, have become much more sophisticated. So when you when you see what these storytellers can tell, it's 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 really uh, gives people room to flourish and not just feel like they're retreading the same thing over and over again. I think that's why a lot of the well, for that and a number of reasons, a lot of the best content is really happening. I think on the small screen now, at least the stuff that I'm most compelled to yeah. and, and drawn to. And I also think it's why people are so. <laughs> I mean, I don't ever remember before the last few years people being such dickheads about spoilers, spoilers, don't spoil anything. Because like yeah. they crave it's so hard. These 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 kinds of surprises are to be you know whatever endorphins are released in that in those moments are are, are commodities. And now, so when people don't get them, they <laughs> yeah. just fucking they yeah. flip out. Yeah, and I, and I understand it to a degree. Because people assume that I've seen everything the second it comes out. And right. so they'll, I'm sure they do this to you, tweeting like, hey, can't believe so-and-so turned up at the end there. And you're like, god damn it, I didn't know Right, that I yet. know not to look. I mean, that's, that's also a, a, a skill and, a, and a, a, new, a new set of world skills, which is knowing when to look and when not to look and how deeply to read and to be able to actually have an automatic filtering system as you're scam- scanning over <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> things to know when to stop looking at something yeah. Yeah. and not to get sucked into the void. Yeah. It started, I think, you know, with when I accidentally would, D- you know, DVR football games and then check Twitter and like, oh, no, 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 good. Don't do that. <laughs> and then it started turning into things like when, like Game of Thrones or, or Walking Dead or something. I didn't want to see too much. And I follow people who are funny because they go right after it. And oh, yeah. they make real, like Patton Oswalt's like great yeah. at, yeah. you know, either live tweeting or, or just reacting in a very, um, in a very sincere way uh, of somebody who's clearly speaking from the heart and not trying to fashion tweets to keep the feed going. Right. You yeah. know? Uh, and so he's, he, 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 and then he's a comic and a, and a, and a geek. So it's like, it, it, I, I particularly enjoy his, his reading his stuff. But I have to know, don't, don't look at it, don't look at my feed unless I've done my job. And, and then, but then the House of Cards happened. I was like, okay, can I say something? Out, <laughs> what, what's the statute of limitations on a, on a binge dump yeah. on, uh, on Netflix? Yeah, because people do that now when they release all the episodes at once, everyone sees it. And you, it's hard to talk about TV shows that way because you never know where yeah. anyone else stands. It's just like it's like it's like oh did you walk out in the middle of the movie all right well then I won't talk to you about the rest of the movie right and so there's like there was a bit of a, everybody said that you get sort of like I guess till Tuesday if something was on the weekend or on a Sunday like there's <laughs> there's kind of acceptable half lives of spoilers that people accept like I'm in yeah. like I'm watching Homeland the last season I'm half I'm almost done with the last season of Homeland watching it on on um on demand and I know that if I see a spoiler it's it's on me. You know, well, you know, don't, don't, you know, it's like ruining saying elsewhere. You know, it's like, uh, but there are other things where it's like, it's not, you know, if it's, if it's East West Coast time zone, that's not fair. You know, no, no, that's not yeah, fair. Yeah. That's, but, but we, we've talked about things in the podcast before that are years old. People are like, 
hey, bro, spoilers. And I'm like, yeah. Yeah. it obviously wasn't that important to you if you haven't hopped on that train in the last few years. So I do feel that there, so I, I'm sure online there are some hard and fast rules. I just want a cheat sheet, of like a spoiler cheat yes. sheet so that I can yeah. just send to someone and go, here's what you need to know so that that's why this is acceptable. <laughs> so I think like, I think within six months... I could sort of understand. People get busy. Maybe they didn't catch up. But within six know. months, if, it's, if they haven't seen it yet, then they're not going to see fair. it. Yeah. That's not fair. Though. If they're six such fans, if they're going to get so upset, then like, it's like, watch it. And don't like, hold other people responsible for having seen it because they're real fans and saw it already. Yeah, I guess and they want to talk about it. You yeah. know? And, 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 what is, and what is social media? Is it, is it the water cooler? I was listening to you talking to, to Will Arnett. It's like, my, my kids don't get upset like the people of our generation do because they know that when you're reading something on the internet, especially where it's an anonymous, you know, uh, posting, that's like getting mad at somebody scrawling something on the bathroom wall. <laughs> I know, but us, it, yeah. but, but the, for those of us who remember before, we equate that to someone walking up and exactly. saying like, Oh, you're a piece of shit. Why did you say right. that? But it's not that it's, it's no. really, it's almost, it's more like listening to, especially if you're doing a search, which I don't recommend. No, oh. no, no. Uh, it's like putting a microphone at a water cooler. <laughs> so getting mad at somebody for get you know and I remember my first year like I've been in town twenty years and when I first got here I came out of like I was doing comedy I was doing improv in, in Chicago I O right I O and and Second City I was a dishwasher never never performed there oh, no. and, <laughs> and never got, but got no dishes to, yes and look how clean uh, they are that's right and I got to watch Farley and Mike Myers and oh my all God. the great you know all the Colbert and um, all all the these great Carell might have been in that Carell group too, was right? there yeah. Carell and Colbert and Dick Costello who was the head of Twitter was in one of those groups oh, with Carell uh, was he? yeah I don't know if I overlapped then I was there for about four years Amy Sedaris uh, Amy Sedaris who's was there chef. who's in Chef yeah, was and great. was in Elf yes yeah. an elf, yeah. she's just she's a, a murderer yeah I, one of my she favorites. is she's like the one when people say women aren't as funny as men it's like just point to her it's like <laughs> she's the Larry Bird of <laughs> comedy I mean what a, that, that was <laughs> yeah. you know it's when you, there are sort of like, um, uh, there are t- kind of time stamped regional periods of magic in comedy around the country, yeah. and that is one of those, like, one of those mega classes where you're like, that person and that person, yeah. and that, like, what All was the in the fucking room. water? Yeah. And when I, but when I was selling t shirts and checking coats downstairs, <laughs> uh, there was a book about the history of Second City, and it felt like, oh my God, lightning struck here like three times already. Like, is yeah. this not. Is this not where you want to be digging for for treasure? Uh, did it move someplace else? Because it's coming to the scene of the crime didn't seem, you know, you questioned it. And then sure enough, there was a whole new wave of, you know, Tina Fey. I mean, every these yeah. all these smart, great people with really good it, – it, it's a, it was a very good training ground because it, it was Chicago – Specifically, it was a place where people weren't, it wasn't like showcases. You weren't hoping to get, maybe once in a while, a scout would come through town for something, for SNL or for uh, a movie that was casting supporting roles. But for the most part, you were putting up a show. The community there would come out to see the show. And if you had a good show going, you would fill the theater with not just friends and family, but people who just wanted to go out and have a good time and, and see some comedy. And you were forced to learn how to write, how to act, how to edit. How to direct? You would, you know, uh, the UCB was a, a comedy group yeah. back then that came. That was sort of the generation 
like the, like if I was a junior, they were the sophomore class, and it was McKay was in there, and Horatio Sands, and Matt Besser, uh, Matt Walsh. It was yeah. a, you know, but that was just a group of people who were just doing shows at bars in, in Wicker Park, and it turned into a theater thing. Now, in retrospect, it seems like such such a significant thing, but there was, you know, everybody had a group. And you'd write sketches, and it was very disposable. Your writing, because it was good for a week, so you never got that. You never got that foreboding feeling that a writer does when you are like, "I'm writing my screenplay. It has to be perfect." Or an actor who went to college for went to like Yale drama. There was always this um, reverence for acting, which you know makes them great actors. But it also makes for each audition or every time you do your craft. The stakes are much higher. It's a fucking lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure. I, I just kind of like the, yeah, you know, well, it's, it's fine if it works out great. <laughs> that's kind of what, you know, that's kind of what it was. And and, and it's also a very uh, team, it's a team sport, you know, and I know you're more stand-up, uh, but there's a there was a, a big differentiation that if, if you were ambitious and wanted to be, uh, you know, top dog, it was, it, it you kind of had to, Sublimate that because mm-hmm. at the end of the day you were a team and you had to pass the ball three times before somebody took a shot. I mean yeah. that was the mentality, and anybody who was showboating the whole it, it wouldn't be good for them either. The whole the, the team would lose, and so you were forced to learn to rely on each other, set each other up, and and it, so it was much more of a sport. And it wasn't really you didn't have directors; you would coach. You'd, you'd, you'd give somebody, you'd, everybody would throw a few bucks in a hat to have one of the more experienced improvisers come and coach you and watch your show, give notes afterwards. But it was never directing. Uh, and so there was a, a, a very, a, a really nice infrastructure that has, that uh, it continues in the movie business. Um, among directors, certainly, there's, a, there's an idea of, hey, come check out my movie. What do you think? Or come, you know, uh, come to the editing room, look at this. You know, and it's a very supportive environment in, in an otherwise highly competitive line of work, which is the part that I really have grown to appreciate. More so than all the things I thought I'd like about That's really it. interesting uh, you say that because I was just um, Greg Proops was on at midnight last night, and Blaine Capatch, who's another comic, is one of our writers, and they they were in San Francisco at the same time in the late eighties, early nineties, like just kind of at the end of the comedy boom, like right before right. what is classically labeled as alternative comedy sort of right. birth right. out of San Francisco. And Blaine said that at the time, um, so much of the stand-up scenes that he had been around were really competitive and they'd see someone funny on stage and be like, ah, fuck that guy. I can fucking do that. He said that right. San Francisco was the first time where people would go, where other comics would look at someone on stage and go, that guy's really funny yeah. and want to like learn and hang yeah. out and yeah. grow and be communal as opposed to, you know, this sort of isolated. I mean, I think stand up definitely lends itself to more isolation than the other comedy arts because it is, you do do it alone. But and, and you are mainlining too. Like when you when you kill alone on stage, it there's nothing else that exhilarates and freaks your, you know your your your. It's hitting your like glands in your brain that it just releases but, yeah. all of these. But it's cortisol that. and. But when a group though, like if you have another person or a group of people, there is sort of a band thing where it's like. Oh my god! Like when you discover that you're all somehow on the perfect wavelength, yeah. and everything is just like, there's a zone. That's a whole yeah. separate. But I've done yeah. I've done both, right? And I'm telling you that the stand up who's there alone is like MMA. I just beat <laughs> the other person. Like it's you against the audience, and there is nothing there but your you know, but your training and your yeah. wits and your muscles and your pain threshold. 
and your nerve. With with uh, improv, there's always that you know it's like it's like being a marine. Like I'm going to help you over the wall, but we we're here for each other. It's like yeah. lo- at best, it's like lone survivor. Right. You know? <laughs> and then when you and when you get crushed, it's like that too. Yeah. It's like you all go down helping each other out. But it, it's it, it's a different vibe. I think it's a better. I, I think that everybody's got both instincts, right? Everybody sort of wants to shine. Everybody wants to be supportive. But the improv community tends to punish people for uh, putting themselves in front of the group, whereas the, in stand-up, your you know, ambition is rewarded. And the more you – the scrappier you are, uh, sometimes it, it tends to be the, you know, the people who, who go the furthest are the ones who are going to travel for the most shows, work yeah. their way up the, the, the food chain faster. Uh, I think both learn – I think what happens, though, is as you get absorbed into the community – those stand-ups become writers or performers or actors, and they learn those skills later and, and grow to appreciate it. And then the people who come out of the improv background also learn, like, they, hey, you gotta you gotta produce some jokes here. You gotta <laughs> yeah. you gotta be productive, and that's not that's never part of the process when you're you know talking to the coach at halftime. <laughs> you know? Well, it's inter- it's interesting to hear that part of your background, and then you know to see you know, I, I saw Swingers in the theater when it came out. And to wow. see, because you could have easily just made that movie just about yourself. Yeah. And the other approach is, no, let's have a bunch of characters in there, and they're all really strong. And yeah. everyone's sort of like, that's, that's kind of what supports the structure of the film. Thank you. Yes, it, it is. And I made myself a stand-up there. Yeah. As yeah. opposed to an improviser. Uh, <laughs> Comedy union. Uh, so, but yeah, it's, I've always liked to, I've always been a supporting player i've been a character actor and i've I've had my moments where i've got to play good parts but but the fact is my my sensibility comes from from that training and and when you're a character actor you're there to support you know you're there to set up and you you get your moment you get you get to you get to show off once in a while and and if you steal a scene everybody's happy even the lead usually because the lead's like oh this one scene i don't have to worry about you know (laughs) you're helping my movie and you know, you need people to 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 carry you along when you're the main dude. And like in Chef or 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 Maid or, or Swingers, you know, they're the supporting character shine more more so than myself. Well, because your character has the task of having to drive the story forward. And when you're, you know, it's sort of like if you're driving the bus, you can't fuck around in the back of the no, bus as much right. because you have to keep the bus on the road. Yeah. And other people can kind of like, you know, I I would way rather be. Uh, not the lead. So you could, there's no pressure. You just come in and yeah. do your thing and then leave and you then the other guy's got to deal with it. You come yeah. in and you kill it and, and it's great and I love doing it whether it's one scene or, or four scenes or the whole movie. And then you have all other people who have been leads and could be leads coming. You know, you had like uh, Vince in, in, in uh, Swingers and Mage just, you know, crushing it. In this one, you got Leguizamo who's just like in top <laughs> form, hasn't, you know, he's always had the chops but I haven't seen him do this particular thing in a while. And he just is, you know, we, and I encourage, I do multiple cameras. I encourage improv as long as you're on story. Mm -hmm. And if you could beat what's there, let's do it. Let's try it. As long as it feels natural and doesn't feel like you're trying to score. Yeah. But if you could improvise within the reality of the moment, I love that. I love all the directors I look up to do that. You know, I worked with Scorsese. I had very lucky to do a small role in Wolf of Wall Street. I got to watch his process. And what'd you pick up? You know, that's it. It's, it's all about. First of all, he's extremely enthusiastic. He laughs. And if you want to change something, he'll, he gives you tremendous freedom to do that. And he'll come in and, and pay attention, and he'll be 
the first audience member to laugh at it and enjoy it. And then he'll give you guidance as to how you should shift it or adjust it. And I got to do that a little bit. I was very nervous, to be honest with you. But uh, watching, <laughs> watching Jonah, Jonah work, I got to be there with, with Jonah working with, uh, with Leonardo DiCaprio. And then Rob Reiner was there, who I would have been starstruck about you know, if it was if he, if he were directing, so it's like the yeah. the whole thing was was hyper real. And then Scorsese, you know, if you saw Swingers, you know, I've been I've been pretty <laughs> fixated on this guy for a while. Did he see Swingers? Did you talk about it? I don't it? know if he did. I think I think people tend to uh, stop really watching films with the same degree of awe and attention from when they begin doing it themselves. Mm-hmm. Like, I think there's pre-you. Like, I know, like, I look at Tarantino differently than I'll look at new filmmakers today. I'll appreciate what people are doing, but they really have to score tremendously for, for them to knock me on my ass and, and turn me into somebody who thinks of them in the same light as I think of people like Tarantino or Scorsese or, or people that I grew up watching or, you know, or, or, or doing it before I broke. Yeah. Do you think we... Uh do you think it's because we sort of, when we're when we're younger, we see something that changes our yeah perspective, and then all of a sudden, like, oh, well, I, you know, it's not everyone is going to change your perspective every single time you see something. Yes, and you're it's forming, just gets frozen. You're imprinting on it, and yeah. it's like I could not even fathom thinking about how to improve Blazing Saddles. Like, <laughs> I couldn't give a note like that part slow, or they should have cast this person instead of that. You know, I'm curious. I'm I'd, I'd, I'd be curious to see, you know, uh, you know, the version of it uh, um, starring uh, Richard Pryor, Richard Pryor like that. Like to me, that's like when I see the documentary on Richard Pryor, it's like, oh, my God, what would that have been? Like, I'm curious in an alternate universe kind of way. But I think it's perfect. I think Bad News Bears is perfect. Oh, yeah. my I went, God. I haven't seen I, that movie in ages. It's so good. There's yeah. that movie would. Did they try to remake it? They, they did. They did with uh, Billy Bob Thornton as the lead. Oh, that's right. That's Who right. Directed right. it. Linklater. I, they, I didn't. I didn't see it. But I mean, see, that just shows you. It's like. It's like. I'm sure it's good. I've heard it's good. Yeah, but the, in the, the 70s was really the time when we could let kids uh, drink and drink. be racist yeah, and, and ride motorcycles. <laughs> ride motorcycles without yeah, helmets. Play baseball. Kids gonna play be baseball. Super sexist. And, like, all, just yeah. But it. But it wasn't. You know. It's again judged by the time. It wasn't done to shock. No. It wasn't shocking like it is now. And you. You know. It's tough. Because if I showed my kids it, it would be shocking. Sure. But growing up then, it felt... Just of the time. You know, it's like how people watch South Park now. It's yeah. like, hey, that's how kids talk. You yeah. Know? yeah. Uh, and, and that was what was nice. And, and I tried to actually, in, in, in Chef, have the kid be that kind of, you know, let the movie be an R. Let not get held by the standards of what studio comedies would be. And just make the movie as small as I had to to preserve the language you would have in a kitchen and let you know that it's not going to be squeaky clean and it's going to be kind of rough around the edges. And I don't think that, you know, a movie, it's, I don't think it's, it's binary. I don't think that either you're a rough shocking film or you're a movie with heart and a nice message. What I liked about the movies when we were growing up is they were rough, but they, they were, they were like life affirming good messages. It wasn't just, a shock parade yeah. you know there were shocking aspects to those movies but then there was also uh, there was also very traditional storytelling well motifs. it served the story like the shock stuff served the story it wasn't just to get the audience to be like whoa you yeah. know it was like yeah. this is this is a very organic piece of who these characters are and these are necessary to inform you all the yeah. what you what you need to know and let the bad dad be the bad dad or yeah. and so that when he becomes a good dad then it means something but everything within our in our 
culture of so many voices in the process right now and the stakes being so high and, and, and fighting for relevance and urgency in the marketplace, especially with a film that's not a effects-driven, big, you know, gravity or superhero movie where you want to see it big, and if you don't see it big, you feel like you're not getting your money's worth out of it. The smaller films, you know, especially I, I get screeners because I'm in the Academy, it, it really says a lot if I'm going to get a sitter. I got three kids. I'm going to get a sitter, go out and watch a movie in a theater versus waiting a few months for it to pop up on Apple TV. Right. You know, on iTunes. So it, it's, you know, you, there's a lot of, of uh, hand-wringing on the parts of the people who are releasing these things that you don't want to alienate groups. You want to make sure it travels. You want to make sure it works for all the quadrants. And the only way to, to combat that is either do it on the small screen or bring your scope and, and, and budget down to the level that it doesn't take that. You don't have to please everybody all the time. You could, you could really please a smaller group very much. I would rather have a very loyal, smaller audience for a, for a movie like this than, a, than a, a bigger audience where everybody gets every joke. And that's just a, you know, because I have to, with the big ones, you've got you've to concern yourself with, with everybody because you need everybody to show up for it to, for people not to lose money. Well, where, uh, where do you think this, this idea of, like, it takes, it's going to take a lot for, to get me out of my house to go see a yeah, movie. Yeah. So then is that, is that a little scary at all in terms of, like, is it, there seems to be more pressure on the film industry to make movies that will get people out of their yeah. house and not just go... Oh, I don't. That doesn't. I can just see that on cable. Yeah, that's what you're seeing, and that, and that's why there's a whole budget level that you're not seeing movies getting greenlit at, mm-hmm. and and sadly, that's the budget level that led to most best pictures. You know, and there's a lot of movies that you could go down the list. It's like Dog Day Afternoon. Dog Day Afternoon would now be a HBO movie, or <laughs> right, and 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 maybe ten years ago it would have been an indie, and and thirty years ago it would have been a studio movie. So. I think that there's still being good work, good works being done. It's just not in the cinema. It's not in the theaters. Uh, and now with new media coming up, because it used to be DVD protected you. So even if you had those big blockbusters, video and DVD came in, and, and there was that window to recoup. So if you did something that was more ambitious, and even if it couldn't compete out there in the marketplace or in the foreign territories because it was too specific to your culture or to a specific uh, audience – they still knew that in, in the DVD window, you'd, you'd make your money back. It might take a year, but you'll, you'll, you're pretty safe to budget something at the $40 million range that had some stars and was, was ambitious. Then, then with uh, you know, online theft and piracy, it, that, that completely got sucked out of the equation. And so you had to make your, mo- your money back uh, in, in, at the movies. So either the budget went way down or it was a... Uh, or it was something that everybody wants to come to. And now with foreign markets being so, so important, more important than the domestic, it's got to travel. So it can't be too specific to our culture either. What's happening now is new media is coming back up. And it, it had been you know, trading, what was it, uh, digital pennies you were getting, you were trading for, for uh, analog dollars. Mm-hmm. And, and now each year those pennies have doubled. And now for the first time, if you combine new media and home video, it's actually gone up again. So this, this falling off a cliff curve that home, home video had had is now changing. And so you're going to start to see smaller movies have better budgets as that begins to grow hmm. and as we learn to monetize that window better. And, and now you know, you're starting to see movies get better, I think, because of that. And 
And so, yes, you've got these tremendously robust, big, huge movies that are using technology and universal storytelling and effects and drawing great actors to them because there's not a lot as much work as there had been. Uh, and, and, and there are good versions of those. Like, I'm not disparaging it. I, 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 I like working in that environment. But there's a, there's a, a narrow swath of stories you can tell that, that tick all those boxes. And every once in a while you want to do something that's more personal, like how I started with Swingers and made and, and, and when an idea f- like for Chef comes and I, I'm able to have this fully formed script in my head and write it as quickly as I did Swingers and, and just see the whole thing and know that I could do it for not a lot of dough and have something that I feel very connected to, it's, it's nice to be able to find a, a, a channel through which to do that. And knowing full well that, you know, really I want to just make enough money back to, to not punish the people who believed in me. <laughs> yeah. uh, but also I know that if you put something really good out there and something you really believe in, that that audience can find it now. And, you know, Swingers made, I think, five million, six million of theaters. And, but everybody's seen it. And Rudy was like number two when it came out, but everybody has seen it. There is a cultural reference. And Elf, you know, Elf did well in the theaters, but it's but because of TV and, and because of, uh, you know, it being in the Christmas rotation, it is now part of the culture. And as the next generation comes up, it's really fun for me to see people who, who, who's, who form their opinions growing up in an environment where they were seeing the work that I did at a younger age. Elf was really interesting because I, from what I heard, just the way that, um, I mean, I don't know if most people understand this, but television and film are two completely different islands, yeah. and there's a giant wall in between them. I, I, I think television is definitely more aware of film, but from what I've understood in my limited involvement with film, is that the you know, like film head, studio heads... Yeah. Don't really know or give that much of a fuck about TV, yeah. and so that Will Ferrell, who yeah. t- in everyone's mind was like, "Oh, he's a comedy superstar," was still a tough sell to yeah. to, to lead a movie because they're like, "Well, who gives a fuck?" I'm like, "No, no, you don't understand." Yeah, halfway. Well, when we started, the only film he had done a lead in, I think, was Night at the Roxbury. Right. right. So yeah. it wasn't. But old school was in the can, and I had actually visited the set of old school because I was visiting Vince. It was it, so. I, I got the sense that something really good was happening there. Uh, even on the set, there was a, a fun vibe to it. Uh, and that movie, not just, you know, it, it really it knocked Vince to another level. Uh, and, 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 of course, you know, you know, Will was just all of a sudden that, I think it was like the biggest R-rated comedy at that point yeah. ever. And so halfway through the production of Elf, there was this infusion of enthusiasm for him. But in the beginning, it was... It was seen as a concept film, you know, uh, and and it was, you know, it was, a, it was a bit of a nail biter for a lot of people involved because here finally Will did uh, appear on the scene in a very big way. And they had been trying to get Anchorman made even before Elf and he couldn't get that made. Uh, and immediately thereafter he did. And and so it, you know, everything kind of the, the, everything the sun began to shine on his career and, and his talent was revealed in a way that you may have known, but the general public only kind of associated him with SNL, which those people, sometimes it works out for them and sometimes it doesn't. And so he became a proven commodity out there in the, in the film marketplace. And, and then, but people were like, is this movie too soft for the audience that is clearly coming out for him because of old school? Because that was a pretty rough R. 
And I remember testing, it was, we tested uh, ELF with, we had two tests in one day, and the first test was with young kids. And it tested through the roof. And then, but then I realized that, no, every movie tests through the roof with young kids. It's <laughs> <laughs> so like, don't, don't celebrate. Don't celebrate too fast. Uh, then the next group was kids with piercings and, you know, right. and flannel shirts. And I think it was before tattoos. So, and it was like a, a, a kind of a rough and ready alt slash comedy uh, uh, college crowd. And they were saying, now, don't worry. We just want to see how it plays with this group. Don't. Don't concern yourself with it. We like the movie. We know it plays for kids. It's going to be good. And I snuck in the back of the theater. I watched it. And when my, when my credit came up, even then, there was applause. And I was, that was the first time that I ever felt. And where would they have known me from? It could only be swingers, right? That was all I had done before that. Swingers are made. And so they liked, they gave the movie. And then when Will came on, they went crazy. They loved him. And when all the Rankin Bass, like, stop-motion little animals yeah. that the kids didn't get and thought were weird, <laughs> yeah. all the people who were, like, in their 20s thought, oh, it's, a, it's oh, commenting yeah. on our childhood and the Rankin Bass things. And that's when, that's when I really started to feel uh, – and it tested very well with them. And, that's, and then there was no more discussion of, uh, creatively in post-production. It was like, let's finish the movie. We got it. And, and then they came up with a really good campaign with Will in that outfit and, and just – Billboards with him in the suit being like boxed in by this big elf on a little billboard. So it was like the first time I had a magic moment with a movie because everything I'd either acted in or done had there's been a there's been a, a high watermark of like it's a great in a festival or got acquired or had a good weekend. But then as it went out to the big marketplace, it it it, it, it disappeared quickly and then and then found life on video. But there was always a little bit of a sad ending to all of it. This was the first time that it was, you went to the, visited the movie theaters and it was, they were like adding shows and oh, wow. it was packed houses. And, and when you're doing a comedy, that's sort of your dream, right? Because you're a comic. But when you're a comic, you're up on stage sweating it out, whether you're doing improv or stand-up. You're sweating it out and you don't even remember how the set went if it was good. You just know that you killed or you didn't kill. But you're not enjoying anything. You're up there. You know, you're dancing. A you're Daffy Duck eating gasoline up yes. there, right? <laughs> but when you, nothing, nothing. <laughs> I can only do it once. <laughs> and, then, and then when you do a movie and you direct it or you're in it, even better when you're in it because they're – I don't know, there's something about seeing you getting a laugh, but even when it's not you, when it's the people that you've, you know, helped pull together and you sit at the back of the theater and they're laughing at jokes that are all pre preloaded into the movie. You don't have to do anything but sit and watch and you're getting laughs and you're passively watching people laugh at that thing that you've been just tearing apart over and over again, putting back together, scrutinizing, defending Getting good notes, bad notes, people telling you this joke will never work, and then it kills. Like that's like uh, there's this whole uh, uh, kaleidoscope of emotions that you feel, and that fantasy that I always had about sitting in the theater and watching people watch something good that I was involved with. That's still something that makes you keep going back to the theater when it's out because you know that it might be out on DVD, but you're ne you're never going to get to see it again like this. And so it's like, okay, one more weekend, <laughs> and you go and it's. And I've had the opposite where you 
where the agent gets the limo, you drive around and you're there for the, you know, opening night. Hey, we're at the Chinese theater. You go and you're seeing PCU and there's like one person in the theater. <laughs> and that was the focus puller. That was the focus puller. Was the only other person in the theater. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> it's like, oh, at least there's one person. Hey, John. <laughs> Do you want to come into the limo? Because there's exactly. room. So that was uh, sad. And I've had Zathura also. PCU. Oh, my God. PCU. I remember when that came out. That was supposed to be like. This is going to be like Animal House all over again. Uh, maybe. <laughs> no, I mean, like, I remember when they b- b- promoted it that way. Sure. Right. Well, Animal House is pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> Animal House is maybe one of my favorite movies, uh, if not my favorite. And and you want to be part of it. You know, you want and it. And it was and I think there was a I, I, I still there are people who really like it. Now, again, there's a whole generation of people who grew up watching it. Yeah. And, and there are good moments to it. It was. It would have been better if it were an R and a little bit more rough and ready and a little less uh, tempered for the studio. It certainly couldn't have made less money. So <laughs> I don't know. That's a, those, are, those are things that those are things that stress me out. You know, if everyone if anyone ever says to me like, "Do you want to be a director?" and I'm like, "No, I don't. I would never want to be a director because there's not only all the political stuff. I mean, like you're the focal point of all of it. You're the go between between the studio ultimately and the actors yeah. and the editors and, and everything. And so. To me, it's so frightening because there are so many fail points that aren't fully in your control. And then also, there's a million different ways to cut something. How the fuck do you know when it's done? It's not That, that, that part of it's actually not as hard as you might think, and I think you'd be very good at it because you're smart and you're a student of, of film and you know comedy. Th- the hard part is the first part, which is how do you navigate through the politics of it? And, and, and it varies so much from film to film. And, I, I, you know, and you think that with success you get more freedom, and it's actually the opposite's true, because as something grows in popularity, it becomes a brand, and it becomes there are so many more voices of people who, are, who have a vested interest in the oh, success. They're, the they're getting over protective mother That's syndrome. Right. That's right, and, and, and understandably, by the way. They, they, they write big checks, and they want to make sure that, you know, uh, and you're getting paid well, and they want to make sure that you don't kill the goose as you're doing it. And, it's a, and so it's, it, I equate it to, like, improv. If you're, you know, I started off, there was, you know, Del Close would teach, uh, you know, long-form improv, the Herald, and you would get one suggestion and explore that suggestion with a group of people for half an hour. Then there's other gigs that are like corporate gigs or industrials that you would take for money where you go and they give you like a list of all the people's names you have to mention. Yeah. <laughs> Bob and Accounting. The, the yeah. product Freedom. line that's coming out. Yeah, exactly. And it would be really funny if you did a thing and you're, and you're there at some like, you know, closed audience sales conference and it, it became a matter of satisfying all the, all the prerequisites of, of this gig. But you were never going to hit the level of inspiration that you would if you're doing an exploration. Sure. And so there's always going to be a balancing act between doing something that you're excited about, inspired by, and have freedom to, but then you're also dealing with the commerce aspect of the show business. And you don't want to, you know, and, and also now the fans feel like they own, especially if you do sequels or a piece of material that they feel connected with, you have to make sure that you are, it belongs to them in many ways. So if you come back and do uh, a sequel or a remake or um, you know uh, take a, 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 a book, a, a set of novels that they love, they feel that they have a certain ownership over that, and they do. Well, yes, because they're attaching – I mean if someone is 
a hyper fan of something, let's call him Iron Man, right? And they've attached their identity to it, and then you express a version of that that is antithetical to that, then you are not just hurting something they love, you are attacking their core identity. Right. right. And so, and the, and... And now the internet, they can let you know that. And, and the trick, the trick, I think, is to find the that brand that has enough, um, is robust enough that you, that it, it warrants getting a big movie, yeah. right? Because it's more about brands now than about people. Right. Really, it's an era of marketing and branding. So, you you need a brand that gives the studio the confidence to put the money in, but you don't want so much of a predisposition. To how it should turn out, that it's dick, that you're operating out of fear. Sure, and that's the balancing act, you know. And with Iron Man, we were very fortunate because it wasn't a studio; it was a negative pickup. It was it was a small. It was it, nothing was expected of it. It was if if we had the success rate of like a Fox uh, superhero film, the, everybody would have been happy. They would have gotten uh, made their money. It wasn't going to be a star driven thing. There was a, as long as we hit the limited budget that we needed to do, and we had some good trailer moments, and we made a solid film, and didn't hurt the new Marvel studio, uh, then we were, you know, we were pretty much in the clear. And people didn't know Iron Man, and no, they, you that's know. why it was such. A, not, not only did they not know Iron Man, but Robert Downey Jr. hadn't really been super in the public up to that point because of stuff. And so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, when, you know, now it's sort of a no-brainer. You go, oh, yeah, Iron Man, Robert Downey Jr., of course. But at the time, I remember when it, when it was announced, I was like, really, Iron Man? All right. Okay, well, that's an interesting, you know, because it wasn't like Iron Man was at the forefront no. as yeah. a character, and he was not at the forefront as an actor yeah. at that point. No, no, but everybody, like, it caught something, and I really contend that casting is most of my job. He's fucking Tony Stark. You know, it's, it's yeah, it's... It, if I could get tone and casting right, that's most of it. And and when I knew if I could get him, I, I sat with him, and you know he was you know he was somebody who'd been up for other. I think he had like met on Doctor Doom, like he had been around trying to. And I was the only one who showed up to that meeting, you know, when when we brought him in. Uh, and there was you know, and Kevin wasn't Kevin wasn't running the show yet. It was it was Avi still running the show. It was there was a transition during the making of Iron Man. I remember it was one of the first first conversations, like deep closed door conversations, I had with Kevin when we were discussing who's it going to be because there were a list of actors that were all right, and 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 he and I definitely bonded on that. Like this is this might this we should not give up on. Exploring this possibility, which led to the screen test, and once everybody saw what he could do, there was nobody who, you know, everybody was on the side of of, of Robert getting the part, and it was a bit of a, it was a bit of a, you know, you didn't know how serious he was about his career, because he had been serious in the past, and but he had many years of just really showing that he was going to relentlessly go after this now, not just this role, but just the career. He was ready in his life to, to grow. And it was about a movie about a guy who was who grows, and you know there's only a couple Joseph Campbell myths to tell in the superhero world. It's either you're the kid like Spider-Man who comes of age, or you're the person who's lost their way who rededicates their life, or the collapse of somebody who's at the top when fighting, you know, fighting to to keep the belt. But that's a much harder that's a much harder uh, myth to tell in a way that's rootable. But Robert, the rebirth uh, of somebody who has tremendous capacity and talent, 
who finally is like knocked into place by, you know, oftentimes hitting bottom or trauma. In the case with with Tony Stark, it was it was the kidnapping and and the and and being uh, you know held held prisoner, uh, and then he comes out of that cave with a, a renewed reborn. And Robert was so ready to play that, and the audience was so ready to accept him doing that, and <laughs> and was really rooting for the guy. And and then I, I knew if I could get him that I I understood what every choice in the movie should be, you know. And that's how it works as a director. You get you got to get excited. You got to get something that's going to pull you through that two years and and keep you keep you uh, of unified vision and then allow people around you to join in that vision, have a consistent vision because truth of the matter is in a big movie, you're doing a very small amount of the work as a director. You're relying tremendously on other people of, of this huge support system of hundreds of people that have to be pulling the sled in the same direction. And as long as you could communicate that vision and inspire them that this is a worthwhile endeavor, then they all kick in. And these are, I'm not just talking about people on your crew. I'm talking about like the people at ILM, the people at Skywalker Sound. I'm talking about writers. I'm talking about actors, extras, ADs, PAs, people locking up the parking lot. If you have everybody humming and spinning like a top, the movie's going to have this momentum that is palpable when you watch it. And it all comes from having the right take on it. And that's why directing is a much harder gig in many ways than than others. Writing's tough, too. It's hard to fake it. But you really have to have your heart in it to be operating at full capacity. And if you're not operating at full capacity, you're not, you're not the same person. But these types of films tend to work well when the director has a bit of a um, comedy gene. I think so. I mean, like, you know, Sam Raimi or Joss yes. or you. Like, yes. there's something about uh, just infusing a little bit of that into it that just kind of makes it... I don't know. It just elevates it. In I a way. think. I think so because it's. I think the the the, for the type of comedy I enjoy the 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 basic the seed of it is observation, right? It's it's noticing the truth of a, of a moment or situation and commenting on it, and that's really what what hewing hewing down to uh, to to the. To the core, uh, uh, Brighton Beach Memories, um, uh, Doc, what's what the, the writer's name? Neil Simon? Neil Simon. Neil Simon said, your job is to show what this is really like. This is, that's what odd couple, what, this is what it's really like for two divorced people to be living together who are opposites. This is what it's really like. And the implication of that is that there's a deeper truth that is relatable that you want to demonstrate. And I think the the storytelling and comedy is is this comedy is just like this shorthand to storytelling where you could say in a comment or uh, an observation that makes people laugh and laughter comes from recognition mm-hmm. you know there's pattern there's establishing and breaking patterns and that's 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 math that's the math of comedy and i like to do that with Will Ferrell jumping on the Christmas tree or uh, Robert smashing into the ceiling with the boots that are too mm-hmm. uh, you know too too powerful you know, and I love that kind of. Com- I love Buster Keaton. I love that stuff. But there's a type of comedy that comes from observing what the essence of a moment is and portraying it generally in an exaggerated way to draw draw attention to it. And to me, and that's my improv training. All was about heightening and exploring, heightening, heightening. What's the game of the scene? Yeah. What's the yeah. game? 
Once you know the game, you heighten the game, heighten it, heighten it till it transforms. And you use those rules, whether it's leaving messages on the answering machine. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go too far with this girl. I'm going to live out a full relationship on yeah. an answering machine until she finally picks up the phone and then I hit my low point of the movie. You know, and I, in every movie I do, there is a, there is a heightening uh, and transformation. And those are the rules I learned from, you know, that, from being on stage. Because when you're on stage with other people, you're writing in real time and you're both partnering up. And you have to make a cohesive scene that has an out that will be edited by the back line. And you both have to be playing that same game. And heighten, heighten and transform was, was always the one that would lead to uh, the comedic both both comedy and truth and that's what that's what Del Close always talked about you know it's it's okay to, it's good to be funny but don't don't aim for funny aim higher than funny aim for truth and you'll hit funny on the way and even if you don't get funny you're going to it's going to be worthwhile for people to watch it you'll be getting at something more so again i really think the foundation uh, uh, that i look at and not every director is the same but for me that's been my my path my path has always been through storytelling through through the rules essentially the rules of improv how do you how do you take it if you know because you know you spend a lot of time working on a you spend a lot of time working on a movie mm-hmm. obviously so you know a lot of times that goes really well for you but times that it hasn't do you take it well or do you take lessons from it or do you you do beat yourself up it's, for a while it sucks cuz i care i really care what people think and you really shouldn't uh, I, I know not to delve into the the swamps of of, of the internet to, to to punish myself, but if the feeling I do get a sense of the zeitgeist, and if people missed, you know, like with Cowboys and Aliens, they didn't. I felt like I really had something so special uh, that I had navigated a, a, a much more complicated terrain of so many people who I respected so much being involved and wanted everybody to be happy and satisfied with the collaboration and, and getting to pick the brain of these great people, like, you know, and to work with like Harrison Ford and Daniel Craig and Spielberg and Ron Howard. And it was, it was such a, a, a lovely experience for me. And I was, I was sad that it didn't, it wasn't embraced as something that was seen as a as a, a a celebration. It was scrutinized, and people made fun of the title, and you know it like limped to to hundred million. And I, I hope everybody made their money back. But it wasn't after the experience of working on you know being part of you know uh, the the first lap of the of the Marvel dynasty, and what how. Um, Elating that how how exciting it was to to march into Hall H with nobody knowing what you were doing and then to march out with applause from showing the first footage of. I was there for that. Were you? I think I was there for that. I was moderating. I think I moderated the panel right before you. Paramount panel. It might have been Paramount. Was it? it? Was I think it was for. I was moderating the panel for Paul. I think maybe that was. Oh right, sure. Paul. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I remember seeing Harrison Ford in the green room. And oh, that was the Cowboys and Aliens. The Cowboys and Aliens. That was Cowboys and Aliens. Oh, yeah. you're talking about Iron. That was the year that that was the year the people Stab- get the stabbed. Stabbing, yeah. yeah, that was the stabbing. <laughs> that was uh, boy. That was that was weird because backstage it was like somebody got stabbed. We were it was about like, to go on stage. That's right. For our panel, we're, we're all, and the ushers came back and they're like, um, "We're going to go back up to the green room." We're like, "We're not going out there." Like there was an incident. And we're like, "What happened?" Like, there was a stabbing. When you heard stabbing, you thought it was a broadsword and yeah. somebody was beheaded. Oh, like, yeah. Like that's how it sounded. <laughs> and then it turned out it was it was nasty. I mean, somebody got pumped. I think it was a pen. It was a mechanical pen. Punch with a mechanical pencil, which was awful to see blood and not, yeah. not to make light of it. 
but you know, it just shows you how uh, the you game can make of telephone. It's pretty, <laughs> yeah. pretty funny. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, there was. I, I felt that just to, just to, just to finish the point. It was like there was. I, 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 it's it's so nice when people love and appreciate what it is, and you work just as hard when they don't. Uh, but I do know that as you look back in time, none of those game turns are wasted. Everything that I that didn't click for audiences, at least at the box office, was Zathura led me to be able to do what I did with Iron Man and everything. And, and, you know, you look at the abyss and then you look at Titanic (laughs) and, you know, Avatar, you can't divide, you can't selectively pull pieces out of, uh, of a career. You have to accept the whole thing. And, and, and honestly, it's the humility and circumspect that comes from failures that causes growth. It's like you grow at night and, when you're riding high from success, the exercises keep your head and don't let this run away with you. And I think I've been very, very, very fortunate to have a really steady growth that for every time I've sort of popped up a little bit, I've got knocked down a little bit. But if you look at the overall curve, it's a growth it's curve. It's going up and up and up, yeah. You know, you don't want to be, you know, Orson Welles. I mean, that's like to have such success in the beginning. And you don't want to be somebody, honestly, who's just always... Uh, just always uh, the same level of success and winning, and I think that there's there's a lack of ver- variety and growth and, and learning in that thing. I I, I think I, I embrace the the, the failures uh, 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 more so than the successes in many ways. They're, they're the ones that you're most you 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 connect with the mm-hmm. most. The successes don't they don't feel like they're yours always because it's always such a heightened reality and. Um, I've seen a lot of, in other people, I've seen a lot of bad things come out of, of high points in their career. And so it's like one of those maybe good luck, maybe bad luck. And, it, and, and, you know, as I get older, you really get that perspective. So it's really about do the best work you can, do things you're passionate about because you will be operating at 100% capacity. You won't be half-assing something, which we all tend to do when we're not fully engaged. So find something you really love, give it your all, invest fully with the people that you're working with and the people who are in your close circle of friends and your family and put all the energy into that and do not look outside that room. Don't look out that window because it'll either be cheering crowds out your window or it's going to be people throwing tomatoes. You don't know. (laughs) And it doesn't really matter. And over the long term, you're going to have a very fulfilled, long sustained career. And so you know, although I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I, I like to promote the stuff I do and I want to see it do well, each of us has a journey and, and it has made me much more, um, a lot less controlling of anything but the process of it. And, and, and since I've done that, I found that the work has really continued to grow. And, and, but most important, I'm, I'm happy. And that's, let's not forget that's the goal here. We right? do forget that because you get so obsessed with the thing or the, or the, you know, the, the material goal or the, Perceived oh, I need goal. this thing that's going to fix me or I need this thing. And then you realize like, oh, at the end of the day, I should really be happy. So it doesn't matter. Like, and it doesn't bring ha- – I mean, you've had great success, right? And when those things happen that you thought would make you the happiest, did you not feel the weird crash of this isn't what I thought it was going to be? Whether it's a toy you got or a oh, job? Oh, sure. Or- like almost instantly that it's more – like the anticipation of the thing is more powerful than the thing itself. Because right. once you have the thing, like – Oh, I hadn't even thought what I was going to do with this. I just knew I wanted a thing, but it ne- I never walked through the process of 
and then I'll do this. You know, like yeah. I don't have that. I don't. You never think about that. It's and then you feel bad because you're like, I am fucking up the success of this thing because I'm not appreciating it the right way. That's right. And then you you hate yourself for that. And it's like you're yeah. like I'm, I'm so I, you get so disappointed with yourself for not enjoying the, these blessings. You know. Yeah. <laughs> and 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 it's. And then, but here's the things that you do like, and here's the things that do sort of win out. Every year when Alf's on TV, and people quote it and dress up and do bootleg T-shirts of some, the line the narwhal says or something, (laughs) that, I get so happy from that. Because I feel like there's a light that's shining into the world because of something that I was a part of. And the same thing, I'll get something uh, every once in a while... You know, you try not to read your at feed on Twitter, <laughs> but every once in a while, you know, if like if like if if I know Swingers is in rotation on cable mm-hmm. or something, I'll look and or somebody will be like, I just got over a breakup and I watched your movie and it made me feel better. Well, on a, yeah. on a certain biological level, you know, we have this need as human beings to essentially scatter our DNA across the timeline, and it's that's a that's an artistic way of doing that. That because you know that that'll always you know that'll always be there. I mean, it's, if our society doesn't collapse, right. those things will you, always be there. Because you're not. I mean, what are what is who are you? You know, you look at a picture of yourself from ten years ago. There's not one cell that's still alive, yeah. right? But yet you're still you. So there was some transference of something other than material that defines who you are. And maybe it's just a tech process of, you know, uh, Im, you know, electrical impulses firing in your brain that create this consciousness. You yeah. know, maybe we're just a really good biologically based computer that has a sense of of uh, of being sentient. I don't know what it is, but I do know that whatever it is that's in your head, you could connect it to other people. You're not just uh, whatever you think is, is the parameters of who you are. And as I get older, you start to realize as you have children. So much of you is in them, and so much of you spreads through your work to other people that there is, I think, as people, you know, so many people, it seems, recently have been passing away, but you still feel their presence linger in our culture, and we're creating, remember, our bodies, not to get too too weird about this, but, you know, all big, uh, all complex living creatures were originally smaller creatures that have like mitochondria were <laughs> another creature that was eaten by your cell and then yeah. they created a symbiotic relationship and now it's part of your nucleus you know and 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 you know there are a lot of complex creatures that over time slowly come together and i wonder if they ever realize when they stop being their own you know entity and part of something bigger and i think as we get interconnected with the internet and social networking and computers we're forming. If you look structurally, it's not unlike what a brain is like. That's what our culture is yeah, we're turning all into. This, this we're forming mass. this big communal, and, and the more we are against one another, the more you fight that, and the more you pull together and specialize in different areas, the more it, the more you begin to. I'm not saying we're becoming a big brain, but we're emulating the structure of it. And as different groups of people communicate more quickly and fully and purely, we're able as a culture to. Um, to rise above what what once hampered us uh, as individuals back in the ice age, and we're living better, and there's certainly room for great or bad, but I think the good is outweighing it over time, and I think that being a, a part of part of this culture, you're serving a purpose, and you could actually infuse uh, something positive and and uh, that helps 
move things forward in a big way. And it's just the beginnings of, of a feeling that I'm getting uh, as, I, as I'm now in my late 40s. But there is something to be said for uh, being a positive influence and whether it's in just entertaining people. Yeah. Sometimes that's enough, honestly, to take people's minds off the bad things so that they don't fight with their girlfriend when they get home or yell mm-hmm. at their kids. Right. Like, that's, that's God's work. You know, yeah. <laughs> if you can make somebody laugh and then they're not going to hit their kid, you've done a good thing. Yeah. Well, I, I didn't realize this until my dad died last year, which is that the legacy that people leave, pretty similar to what you're saying, is not, it's not so much like the size of the statue they built yeah, but what the effect uh, that right. has on people like that's the legacy is like well how did you the affect ripples. yeah the, how did you affect people that's where people sort of become theoretically immortal and live on it's like oh well his he did a series of things that affected people in certain ways and and changed the course of Who's their the, life yeah who who the divorced dad that went bowling with his kid right <laughs> that looked this kid that looked forward to going one of your dad's places right? yes right. And now they, his best experiences and his memories and his learning experience. And with, with fathers and sons, it's, it's, it's interesting. And, I, and, and Chef, I know we haven't talked much, but there's the, there's a, it's about a dad who's, who's you know, not been the best father who connects with his kid. And you totally understand. Yeah. Like I, I think you pl- the, the way that you wrote your character, he's not a dick. Yeah, but you you totally understand this kind of cats in the cradle thing that's happening. Yes, where it's like, oh, of course he wants to hang out with his kid. He loves him, but he does like he's got to work. And he's, he's so he's passionate about this. Yeah. He's more passionate about this than he is about his kid. And I, you know, and I was a kid from a. I mean, I'm not divorced. I have, you know, uh, hopefully I'm a better father than what I'm depicting in the film. But I was the kid of a divorce, and I remember that that pining for attention. And when you know, and I see it. I see it on film sets. Like there's, it doesn't happen a lot, but like like in the stunt community, there's a lot of apprenticeship of children with fathers, and mm-hmm. you see dads working with teenage kids or kids in their twenties. The time when most kids are could have want could not have less to do with their fathers, yeah. <laughs> and watching them teach them skills and bonding through that interdependence and the passing down generationally of not just skills but a value system. There's something very pure and you know pre-industrial about that that seems to be more suited for our species than the scalable education system that we have. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, so you know you see that handing down of something, and we don't get that in the you know there aren't candlestick makers teaching candlestick makers for the most part anymore. But you do go to the bowling alley, and the kid figures out early on subconsciously that he could impress his dad by knocking a lot of pins down and next thing you know the kid loves bowling and wants wants a new bowling ball and now the dad's teaching him how to do it right and you're bonding deeply with that you're making that intergenerational bond that that kid needs at that moment and so just to wind it back what you were saying now your dad may not have ever wanted to do that maybe he just wanted to be the best bowler he could be but next thing you know he's got a place where other people could come and do it and he's teaching other people and now all of a sudden you've you've won one for the for the good team you've you've put some points on the board on the side of the light you know and to me that's to me that's ultimately what makes everybody feel best when you look back and scale the world to that kind of mountaintop view that you get as you get older is you want to, that those are the points you like to have and not how big of a like yeah. you say, monument you built. Because the, 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 you know, the story that I saw with chef was about a guy who essentially is fighting against becoming less selfish. Yeah. But then when he does, 
he actually gets the stuff that he That's right. was saying that he wanted before. But in a weird way, it kind of doesn't matter because he's just happy. He's just yeah. happy. Yeah. And that's the point. And that's what Swingers is about. And that's what the big picture is about. And that's what, you know, that, that's... The big picture. Remember the big picture? Oh, it's yeah. one of my favorite movies. Yeah. It's very, uh, very, you know, very strong. And... You know, he goes all he goes to for those guys. He starts Kevin Bacon, Chris Guest, because for Guest directed directed it. Um, worth checking out, especially if you want to be in the film business. It's it really kind of is very silly, but very uh, very very uh, cogent. It's less dark than the player in terms of like this is an inside <laughs> look at and like it's super funny. Uh, Martin Short's in it too, Kills it. and Michael McKean and. Um, and it's a it's a it's a beautiful story and so well so well done. It, it, you know, it's a kid who comes out of Bacon's a kid that comes out of film school, gets a shot, uh, gets a deal at some studio, and then just completely one death of a thousand cuts to his vision is compromised. <laughs> and he has this everything. beautiful little artistic vision, yeah. and then it, it, it turns into like a beach comp. I mean, oh, I don't want to spoil it. Yeah, and then, and then you know, and he goes through the full cycle of it. It's definitely. I, I, I'm hoping it holds up. I think it should. I haven't seen it in a few years, uh, but but some of uh, certainly Martin Short at his best. Uh, but that's that's the deal, and that's the irony of it. And you know, I fight very hard to not work out of town, you know, uh, and to be around for my family, and to and to be a, a good dad more than a good filmmaker. I mean, that's honestly a higher priority uh, to me. And and the irony is, you you don't have to choose. You could do both. And as a matter of fact, I think that people who who honor a balanced life, whatever version that is for them, end up being better artists and better. You know, it, it it makes for a better product. The food tastes better <laughs> if they're happy. I really think so. And it's a you know, it's a it's a tough it's a it's a tough racket when you when you're not digging it, no matter how how well you're doing. And it it is it is a very the, the statistics are not good for success of of people's personal lives for people who are very ambitious. It's, it's a, you have to really consciously try to. To, to allow for that I'm uh, taking note I should be taking notes on that I mean I remember like 10 years ago I asked uh, I was having a conversation with Paula Tompkins about stand up and I was like what do you what's your what do I do you know I was still trying to figure it out even yeah. at that point I was still I was 5 years in and I still didn't know and Paul was like well um, have fun on stage he was like I know it sounds weird but just have fun I'm like oh yeah it's supposed to be fun there's supposed to be an element to it that's really fun yeah, yeah. is this fun enough this is amazing. Is it? Because it, uh, yeah. No, it's great. Th- this is great because there are so many nuggets in here for people to, um, and me in particular as someone who's, you know, uh, very ambitious, but also to try to remember, you know, that balance is very important, that it, if it gets too top heavy, then you fall over. Yes. So, um, but should we do a few dick jokes or something for the other, the rest of the audience? Or are we uh, okay? My dick is very top heavy, uh, <laughs> and it's going to cause there me to fall go. over. Okay. Yeah. That, it looks that like a plunger. box. You know, somebody who was about to turn us off. <laughs> somebody was about to turn us off. Just, dick jokes, dick just, jokes. Just hung with us again. Yeah. Okay, uh, wait, 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 wait. Don't turn this one off. No, hashtag vagina. <laughs> Let's talk about another kind of swinger. Uh, oh, nice. So, <laughs> points. Um, uh, I did want to point out one other thing about Chef, which I really, which Jonah and I, the theater was that... Um, uh, is every song a cover? Like, if, yeah, I every wanted song to, yeah, was like a really bad. cool cover of something. So here's why: we, you know, there's a movies, you know, were traditionally score, right? And then, and then you had movies like American Graffiti and Harder They Come and Scorsese stuff. And what I noticed when I was watching, I was watching a lot of Scorsese, a lot of Scorsese's films, 
when I was doing, um, actually I was pre prepping to do Jersey Boys, which I ended up not doing, and, and uh, uh, later Clint Eastwood did, and it's about to come out. I, I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing that. But I had, there was a while there I thought I was going to do Jersey Boys, and I was for some reason looking at uh, a lot of the Marty stuff. And what I found was, even with Raging Bull, he wasn't doing score. He was doing needle drops from records. And I had done that in Swingers and Made. And what happens is, it first of all, it creates, it's a wonderful way on a smaller film to create tremendous mood, because it's like a playlist. You're... you're you know, it's like what you're playing on your iPad as you're, even if you're getting on the bus going to school, if you've got the right song on, you feel very yeah. heroic. And it does help guide the emotional valence of the audience. But it also takes away the artifice of, of uh, music that comments through, and with score, it always feels a little bit more manipulative. Now, there are certain things, like I'm getting ready to work on Jungle Book, that's something I would use score for, because that's part of that milieu, right? But in something like this, I like my comedy to be very naturalistic. I would rather not everybody got every joke rather than certain people feel like certain jokes were too slow. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they, like the, the movie, they were ahead of the movie. So a movie like Chef, I want it to feel natural. The, the, the comedy be natural, the emotion to be natural, the performances and the writing to be natural. And, and certainly the food should feel very authentic and real to what would be in a kitchen. And so by having these needle drops, you get to inject a tremendous amount of context and emotion and, and interesting choices too because it's if you if you look there's a the type of music we chose commented a lot on the food because a lot of the songs were ingredients of other songs. So it may have been the song like that White Lines uh took the took the hook from was a, a song called Cavern uh by Liquid Liquid and that was like a post punk New York band that Grandmaster Flash took the bass hook from. So there's a lot of songs that you'll recognize, but you've never heard this version because it's the underlying like mother sauce key ingredients yeah. from. Yeah, it doesn't. It, it doesn't feel like oh they couldn't afford the real version, so they made their own. It felt like oh everyone did an interesting version of that yeah. song. We found yeah the and that's how chefs think. They're like, how do I deconstruct this dish and put it together? And so, and there's a lot of Latin flavor and Cuban music, both classic and, and new stuff that they're doing there now. And then we go to New Orleans, so there's a, a lot of great, you know, cool, brassy New Orleans. And they do, when they do a brass band cover of stuff, like we have Sexual Healing. Yeah, and that like was busting a great version. It, like, there's such energy and, and vitality to it. And, you know, you want this character to go from this transformation of cooking in this you know, this French restaurant in Brentwood where the menu hasn't changed in 10 years and then go on the road in this food truck and just be cooking these bold dishes. Because Dustin Hoffman's a dick. <laughs> in, the, in the movie. Yeah, in the movie. In the movie. <laughs> in, in real. And, and by the way, he, he plays the owner of the restaurant. Uh, he's, what was really cool about him is that if you really look at what he says, he's, he's actually not like, he, he's, his point is well taken. Like he cooked the food that, that, that's safe that people want to eat yeah. because you have customers who have been coming to this restaurant for a long time and they love your menu and you don't want to you know you don't want to go to you know uh, In-N-Out Burger and then you don't have double-double uh, like I want to go and get what I like as yeah. a customer play the hits I don't care play the hits I don't yeah. care who, who and he says that he says yeah. if you went to a Stone show and Jagger didn't play Satisfaction would you be happy yeah. would that make you pleased <laughs> and would as an artist you're like God you want to get mad <laughs> yeah, but you're like I know it's true. but is there any part of that that is almost um, 
almost saying that to you as a director of like, hey, you know, you could make a, you could make ten more Iron Men, or you could make something you're really passionate about. This, I think it's a balance. Time. I think it's always a balance of knowing what you're excited by, and and the dude in the movie just can't figure it out and screws everything up. I've always been smarter than it, and I've known how to be involved with things where I can give it my all and knowing how to maintain relationships even as you change your degree of involvement. And I think, you know, uh, the, in, in the case of Marvel, it was a, it, it's been a great ride, you know, and I still am involved and I'm still, you know, executive producing films with them and appearing in Iron Man 3. But it is different. Friday's the it. best, man. I fucking I love that guy. Yeah, he. I listened. I finally I listened to his appearance here because I figured I'm coming on. I should <laughs> make sure we get our story straight. Uh, but uh, but Feige is, you know, and I really saw him grow not just from, like I heard the stories of the days of X Men, and so he always was our resident, you know, historian about. Well, this type of villain was used in this movie, and then he also has encyclopedic knowledge of, of Star Wars and, and Star Trek, but especially Star Wars. So he'll, you know, so he'll he'll pull every plot point of Wrath of Khan out of his back pocket. Uh, in addition to, you know, and I went to the archives, by the way, at, at the ranch with him, where they have all of this obscure. It's it's unfair to even call it memorabilia, but this you know this archive. It's like where they put the Ark of the Covenant. In. I've, I've been yeah. there. Oh, you've been there. Oh, they literally have the Ark of the. They Covenant They have the fucking there. Ark of the Covenant. <laughs> uh, he knew every single. That we were going through with the curators, and he knew everything before they said it. It was like uncomfortable uh, how much <laughs> yeah. he knew. I remember before we went in, the curator was like. Put your hands in your pockets. <laughs> like they're very. He was shitty. like, that was from the extended content from that was the drum from the Jedi extended remix. <laughs> Jesus, uh, the curator was like, I'm gonna have to look that up. He yeah. knew, he knew it all. Uh, so you know, and he was a dude who who again came into his own on the fly during Iron Man because Iron Man he he stepped up during Iron Man, then went off to do Hulk. So Hulk was happening as we were posting Iron Man. So he was doing Hulk, and then in the editing room with us on Iron Man, and he was, uh, you know, and it was a very the, the the good thing for for Marvel for growing these people is that they they're you know it's not a big operation. There's there's a limited amount of people doing a tremendous amount of work, so mm-hmm. they get very good at what they're doing. And and I saw him go from offering ideas and again he's an easy guy to collaborate with because he's he was never you have to do this he was never like but he always but he had always strong points of view and would be very compelling in his arguments and it was always let's try this let's try this let's try this he had tremendous patience and and so i saw him go from and then Disney also acquired Marvel, remember, in the middle of Iron Man 2. So there was all and he was and he was setting up Avengers in his mind while we're doing Iron Man 2. So there was all this stuff happening. And remember, when you're putting everything together in one big bowl, it's like my grandma taught me, you know, if you're cracking eight eggs into a batter for a cake, you crack each egg into a little bowl, smell it, make sure it's not bad, then dump it in. (laughs) With Avengers, you're cracking every egg right into the batter because one bad egg could have ruined other franchises that were going very well. And so that was a tremendous degree of difficulty. Um, and then to know to hire Joss, who was uniquely qualified to, because he understood comic book knowledge. Like, like I was good for the for for Iron Man because it was good about okay, let's say what would what it would really be like to have this suit in the real world and with Afghanistan and with 
the voiceover from the guy from Frontline. Like, let's really ground it. <laughs> but I don't understand how, who wins, what's stronger, Thor's hammer or the uh, Captain America's vibranium <laughs> shield or what, who is, you know, I kind of got the Hulk thing with the Hulkbuster suit. Like, I understood that logic. But, but there's a level of, of, of sophistication to the understanding that both Kevin and, and Joss have about the internal logic within the books that I just, I'm not, I'm not a greater expert than the audience is and, and would have been very uh, hard-pressed to have done what they were able to do. And now, as they spin it out into the next thing, and I'm hearing great things about um, uh, Captain America. Oh, Winter and, Soldier's great. Yeah, yeah. And I'm super excited for Guardians. So you saw it before I did, and I'm, and I'm part of the Marvel fans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I happened to have more time that day. Uh, and, and, and Guardians looks great, and yeah. I love that. And Ant-Man, you know, I, me and... Me and Edgar were next to each other at the first Comic-Con in, I think, 06. Oh, and shit. I love Edgar. And he's going to do something tremendous with that. And I love that they're – now they're you know not just spinning out stories that are with the cast and tone that had been established originally, but now they're branching out into these other areas where they're varying the tone and letting filmmakers bring in uh, – he's been very, always very good about uh, drafting talent and getting the filmmaker who's got the right skill set that they could augment, support, or maybe they could do it all on their own. But, you know, it's, it, it's a very safe place where you know you're not going to be allowed to fail. Yeah. They'll step in. If you're, if you're at a loss, they'll step in and, 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 and help you. Because it really is now a – they've really got it down. It's, it's, a, it's, a, you know, it's, it's truly a studio now. And they've wow. got they – they, they have trained us – like animals to sit through the credits. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. you know, like, yeah. well, there's got to be something. It's better be, you know. It's it's um, it's it's strong, and it's and it's and it's it's so interesting now that they're like the the, the gold standard too, because they were, you know, much like Marvel originally was. They were kind of the subversive, you know, drunk uncle at the wedding. Yeah. And now <laughs> now they've with these flawed characters, and you know, I still remember there was DC and all the established, you know, that the whole Cavalier and Clay era, Golden Age, and then Marvel steps in and and does all these this crazy comment on the on the, on the on the archetypes of the comic world, and now they're now they're now they're a brand that can launch a Guardians of the Galaxy, and I think people are excited about it, like they're being rewarded for. Their uh, risk taking. So, and again, again, Edgar, funny guy. Yeah, James Gunn, funny guy. Yeah. Like, I, I get so excited when I see like it's good. like comedy. And, and Marvel's about humor. It always was. It, like back to you know, uh, Stan True the Man. Believers. It's so it's always been you know that's been the DNA of it. And to yeah. and to find that opportunity without blowing the stakes of the thing. Don't comment. You know, operate. Find humor within the reality. So it's 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 exciting. It's 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 strange. To be honest with you, to see what this, how significant of a of a presence that that universe is now in the movie world, especially remembering how uh, tenuous it all felt at the beginning, it was all very, uh, you know, because that was one where it was like, if I screw this up, it's not it, the whole thing's gone, yeah. and they're going to lose their characters. Like I was reminded, we lose our rights to our characters if we if we. If we this doesn't work out. Oh, thanks. I'm on my way to work yeah. now. Yeah. No, it was like, <laughs> so like, it was like, and they gave me a shot. And, and then it was, so it was like, uh, but they, they've always been rewarded for, for taking, for taking risks. And, uh, and they really haven't, you know, there's their, their worst outing is still a success. You know what I'm was, saying? Was there, was it your, 
Do you have a photo book online? Was it your photo album? No, you know who it was? It was uh, Jeff Bridges. Was oh, black it was and white? Jeff Bridges. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, black and white pictures. Yeah. That's right, which I saw when Jeff was... Okay, yeah, because just those are very intimate yes. pictures... Yes. I was like, oh, only like only three people in that room would have been allowed to do that. Yeah. Jeff Bridges, you, or yeah. Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Have you seen the photo book? Oh, yeah, yeah. His website is great. He's a great photographer. Yeah, you yeah. should check that out, the people yeah. watching. Because they have that, and they have like Big Lebowski. He does it on all his stuff. Yeah, and he's, he's done got, for years. And he's got one of those wind-up uh, panoramic, I think like a, a Russian panoramic plastic yeah. camera that as you take the shot, uh, it, the lens actually rotates 180 degrees. Jeez. So you can run from one side of the room to the other and be on the other side of the photo. So like that's part of it is like take a picture with a sad face and a happy face in the same photo. Yeah. Well, uh, this is, uh, I mean, we've dominated a lot of your time and I am, it's been so nice chatting with you. Like when I met you at Comic-Con, I mean, we've met a couple times. We were at Sundance who we first talked about this long ago. I don't know if you remember. Just nod. No, it wasn't Sundance. It was, it was Comic-Con. It was Comic-Con. We were at a party, I thought. At Comic-Con. Was it? Yes. It was in oh, one of those after It was uh, one of those after, after parties at Comic-Con. Okay. Yeah. And the only reason I know this, because I, I haven't been to Sundance yet, but I remember oh, I ran okay. into you. Well, thank you for not making me look like that. <laughs> no, 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 no. no. <laughs> that was the polite pause, was how can I make him not look like he's no, no, lying? No, 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 no. Well, listen, <laughs> thank you. Just out not. of all the events and all the things that, I, I never take that stuff, it's fine. But I met, you at, I met you at Comic-Con, and you go, hey, I really enjoyed the Damon Lindelof podcast. And I was like... You listen to the podcast. I don't know why you think when a famous person says something to you and you're like, oh, you're people. That's right. You listen to things. Well, I like that. I like this format. And I, you know, if you remember. Dinner for Five. I did. I did yeah. Dinner yeah, for Five. The, one of the original, it, technically it, original podcasts. Kind of a podcast because yeah. it was one it's of those things where, where it was like they didn't care about ratings so much then. It was, it was great content with where well, you got in-depth conversations with people and less concerned with fighting for ratings with The Tonight Show. It was like either you're going to check this out when you can, uh, and that's what a podcast is. It's like you make an appointment. At your convenience, you could listen and listen in depth to somebody speaking beyond the normal talking points that they normally have. And and each podcast has a different personality, and you know, and and your guy's personality infuses the way the conversation goes, and it's 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 a very enjoyable. Uh, experience when I see there's somebody that even if it's somebody I don't know I'll listen I'll give them a shot but like when I know it's somebody that I'm curious about what makes them tick mm-hmm. to know that I'm going to have an hour to hear you get to the bottom of it uh, and and it's not fighting with my TV time you know what I mean where it feels like it's it's something where I'll do it while I'm driving when I'm laying in bed and it becomes uh, it becomes a much more intimate experience than it would be watching a, a show where you're being yeah. presented to. Here, it's like you're you're at dinner with somebody or a fly on the wall, and so it's nice. And it's it, 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 I, I was looking forward very much to doing this, and uh, it's been it's been. It, I also never know which way you guys are going to go with it. We never yeah. know because I, it always just sort of depends on the energy of the guests and yeah. sort of what they want to talk about yeah. and where it can go, and we kind of let it dictate. And so we show up not knowing, I mean, yeah. whether good or bad, we don't prepare in the sense that I, I just don't ever want it to feel like an interrogation. No, and then and what I, happened on I, the evening of... And I like that, but yet you know enough about your guests that they never feel like they're having to fill you in on who they are or what they've done, <laughs> which is the way you could go wrong. You know, you can which wait. you're probably... Yeah, you can. You're probably yeah. And you're not trying to, and you probably get more sincere reactions out of people and, and sincere uh, stories and anecdotes because you're not. It's never the feeling that you're trying to pick at something or bring out something that somebody doesn't want to talk about. Well, no, I mean we're not. You know, we're not. We're not like British journalists, and it's like 
one did, why did this happen you know like we're it's I think when people feel safe when they start to go like oh you know I can just be a human being then yeah. they, they open up a little bit yeah could yeah. not crack Harrison Ford was he okay uh, on Harrison Ford is, here's the <laughs> trick of Harrison Ford <laughs> yeah because of course he's the treasure trove. Right? He is. He's the man, and not just just being around him is you right? can't okay. not freak out around him. But you want to get to the stories. But if you ask him, he's very much like. Thank you. So the trick with him is you got to spend a lot of time with him. You can't just do it like in an interview. But with me on the set with him, first of all, he tells amazing jokes. He's a great joke teller, and so that's entertaining in and of itself. But you want to get to the stories. But you got to get him angry. To get him to really talk. So you got to be like, so uh, were the Ewoks your idea? <laughs> that was one. That was one. I got a good 20 minutes out of that. And I would have to get like, and then like Bob Orsi would be like, you got to fucking talk about the Blade Runner voiceover without me. You know? So you got to get him to, you got to sort of, but Bob Orsi was on the set. Of, so it was like, there was this understanding that I couldn't do that without him around. Oh, sure. Because you were only going to get it once. You weren't right, going to yeah, get yeah. that conversation again. So, uh, yeah, I got the Blade Runner stories. I got the um, um, I Love You, I Know. <laughs> oh, man. I got... Uh, Six Days, Seven Nights. Uh, <laughs> that one. And also, the flying is a whole other thing. We delved into that a little bit. Yeah. He opened up a little bit on that. Oh, yeah. You'll, you should... I, I've been in that plane. I've been <laughs> oh, in that really? helicopter. Oh yeah, he used to fly the helicopter to the set in in Cowboys and Aliens, and in the and the, he'd fly out to the ranch, and we'd fly back. And um, when he was about to land, would he go? Were we supposed to land here? Would you go? <laughs> I was Chewbacca because yeah. I did feel like I was too large for the <laughs> for the set for the set there on that little helicopter because you couldn't touch the. There's a little stick in between your knees you can't touch, and there's one next to you. That you can't touch, and then of course all the switches, and then the only thing he says is, "Let me know if there's any wires," because that's the one. Like if there's any low wires, so oh. now I'm, I'm like, I'm on my head's on a swivel looking for <laughs> for telephone poles. But you gotta everywhere. know, like, I mean, if I were, I would, it would be the one time I would not be freaked out to go in a helicopter if Harrison Ford was flying, because I'm like. Even if it goes down, what a great way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's awesome at it, too. Yeah. He's great. He's a great pilot and takes it very, very, very seriously and, uh, <laughs> and has a great, a lot of beautiful planes. And, uh, but, you know, he is. That's a good he's, trick. He's, Next time, if he ever comes on again. He's the best. I mean, he is like, he's what you hope he would be. And he's got the, that heart that's implied in them things because so he does a lot of charity work and he's just a you know one of those classic gruff exterior soft chewy center good dudes who really really takes his craft seriously and, and gives a shit and will be there and discuss the script as long as you want to and be on the set and and knows how to be a movie star and makes everybody on the set around him feel lucky that they're there and Daniel Craig was also amazing because you know, Daniel Craig, it, it was, you know, Harrison Ford was in support of Daniel Craig. And Daniel Craig is the type of guy who's like, Harrison was, he always treated Harrison like the man. And, oh. and just let him, uh, paid him tremendous respect. And, and, and me and him would just be like, I can't believe we're working with Harrison Ford. On I'm glad you thing. still, it's so nice to hear that you still have those moments. I mean, like that it's, because yeah. if you don't, then... Maybe, you know, it's time to do something else if you don't still get excited yeah. by those little nuggets. No, you And do. just stop and go, oh, my God, I can't, you know, where you got to call someone like, I just fucking did this yeah. thing. And you I did. Know. I get it. I get it a lot. I, I got it with Dustin. I got it with Dustin Hoffman on Chef. I get, definitely got it with, uh, with Harrison. 
And, um, and even Robert, you know, even though Robert was coming around for, for a gig, it was, I was starstruck when I met him and he always had this air. Well, you know, you've, you've, you've talked to him, right? You, I've never talked, we never had him on the podcast. You never did? Mm-mm. He just has an air of a guy that has tremendous confidence in his ability. Even when he was the guy who was fighting to get the job. And when he did that screen test, and I think it's out there. I think, I think they put it out at some point on something. But when he did that screen test, I remember we were working with Matty Libatik, who was the, uh, the cameraman who, who came in to do the screen test. Because a lot of it was like, Matt sure, they always want young, young, younger. So Matty had worked with him on, I think, Gothica. And so I was like, Matty, you got to come in. Let's do the screen test right. Let's light him. Let's show him how good we can make this, this guy look. And uh, Matty did. And then he did his screen test. And everybody was just knocked on their ass because he did the scripted lines. He improvised. He just was killing it left and right. And then I turned to Matty and I said, could you believe that? And he's like, that's about what I expected. Because <laughs> he'd seen him do his shit. And he had that kind of swagger. And he's one of those once in a generation guys that, you know, and by God, the, the, the amplitude of his career, the, the, the high, the, the, the difference between the highs and the lows, I don't think there ever has been. And I can't even imagine there ever will be such a swing like yeah. that because you're coming from below sea level up to <laughs> the stratosphere. Like people come out of nowhere and jump up yeah. or people build a career or have a comeback, but to be written off by 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 most people uh and then to just be embraced and <laughs> be the, like and one of the top it. three people in the industry and yeah. i and i think that number might be smaller than three <laughs> you know he's just because he you know two franchises and then he's got this other thing called the judge and he's doing small stuff and big stuff thankfully he came in and did some did work some on chef, chef yeah. and just you know kills it you know it's it it really does feel like Daffy Duck and Bugs Bunny that like I'm there grinding it out the whole movie and then he walks onto the screen and the whole okay, theater the whole theater just giggles like it's uh, like uh, like like uh, Johnny Fontaine w- w- walked into the wedding you know <laughs> right wasn't that from Godfather yeah. Johnny Fontaine yeah Johnny Fontaine Johnny walks Fontaine. in everybody Ooh. And and uh, he just destroys in 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 a couple you know a couple moments there, um, so you know great dude happy for him <laughs> and uh, I've been very very lucky to have worked with uh, just good not just and I think and I think my big my big if I've got a superpower it's I I got a good eye and I know how to put good I know how to hire people who are amazing at what they do and and they make me look good. And, and that goes for behind the camera and, and, and certainly for the talent in front of the camera. And it's been – and that's when I get frustrated, to be honest with you, is when I see something in someone and, and it's not obvious to everybody else and they, they're fighting me on those types of decisions. That's when I really start to – that's when I get very, very freaked out. <laughs> do you understand? We could – don't you see it? And, and then they don't. And you can't blame them. It's a, they have a different skill set. But, but in this in – this, uh, world where people have to sign off and be comfortable and they're making big commitments over time whether it's for a TV pilot or a movie and you see that somebody's really good and, and, and it's happened I've, I've, I've been present for people going through that part of their career a number of times, I've seen it and, uh, and I know what it's, I have a good sense of it uh, and, and you don't want to let it go if they're right there and you could have them and you could plug them in, it's going to make everything everybody's dreams come true not just their own, but the movies, the, and 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 you have to fight for that. Uh, that's that's very hard. That's a that's a 
that's one that keeps me up at night and, 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 and I fight very hard for it. And then when it comes together, it's, it's, it's wonderful. And, and, and then the fight makes it even that much more satisfying. And then to see, to see them do so well, it, it makes you feel very confident in your ability of course, to, yeah, that you recognize to judge, it. to judge that in, yeah. in, and see that in others. And that's, um, and that's something that's uh, I've grown to really appreciate. And chef, were you since it was kind of a smaller movie, were you able to kind of have carte blanche with the people? Because it's so, there's so many good yeah. people of so many different levels of chef. If of you don't things. like chef, it's all on me. Uh, you know, <laughs> that's what's kept, fun though. I, I kept it small. All the responsibility. I like yeah. that. I'm in it. I play the chef. We got this great kid that I found. It's really good. We got you know Roberts popping in, Scarlett, Sofia Vergara, John Leguizamo kills it, Cannavale, Russell Bobby Peters Cannavale, has a, Russell Peters yeah. pops. In. Just on a whim, yeah. I'm was, like, hey, we're in Miami. You want to be in the movie? Come on down. Is that how it it, oh out? yeah, yeah. He's only yeah. in the movie for like a minute, and he's yeah. really it's fucking. A, no, it's a great scene. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, he plays. He's in Miami playing the cop. There's uh, Hoffman. Um, you know, it was it, some of it took some doing of trying to schedule them or get them to come around. But there's no money, and it was fortunately it was also no time. It was nothing. You know, it was, and it was you know, uh, and and. Uh, you know, it was always people that I was chasing after and saying, please do this. I would love to have you. And here's the scene and it's written. You know, there's not a leap of faith here. Here it is. Here's where we're going to shoot it. Oliver Platt. Oh, yeah. Uh, Amy Sedaris. So it's like every single every single person was, you know, I got to I didn't really have to justify that that much money. So there wasn't there wasn't a. You know, my whole thing was this one's either going to work or not work based on how good it is. Not, and 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 me at the center of it all. I'm not like the biggest marquee name, <laughs> so it's going to have to live or die by how well people like it. And and you know, I just wanted to not have any say in casting, the script, or where I shot. And and I made it all work, and I'm comfortable with that. That's by the way, you know, a negative pickup basically where you have a budget. That's even what Iron Man was. That was not a. You know, that was not a studio cash flow film. That was like, we have this much money to make it. And I've always been good because I come out of indies of, of knowing how to do something for the budget. And, and I know how to get the most out of it. And I'm always, you know, I always stay on time on budget. And as long as you're responsible like that, you're given a lot more latitude, I've found. And so with this one, it was like, it's exactly what I wrote, what I wanted to do. Worked with a chef named Roy Choi, who trained me and sent me off to culinary school, and I worked in his restaurants. On Wait, the Roy from from Kogi, the Kogi truck. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Wow. And he's got a bunch of restaurants around town, like yeah. A Frame. And when is when does chef nice come spot. out? It's coming out. Uh, it, it's platforming. Uh, I think uh, May 9th is it's when it's okay. when it first comes out, and I think it's gonna. You know, I'm not sure when it's gonna hit every city, but soon thereafter. So it's gonna be one of those things where it's like, I'm gonna get the. Uh, I'm going to get to be under the glass bottom boat this time, looking up into the boat. Because normally that's when like Iron Man and stuff comes out. We're like, the big, now I'm like, the, I'm like the little fish, like, don't eat me. Watch out, Spider-Man. Leave me alone. It's like thing Spider- that I helped build is going to grow. Yeah. Hi, Marvel. Please be kind. Uh, but, I, you know, the good news is that I think, I think. We could, I think we could sell out one theater in every city. No, I think it's going to be. You great. know what I'm saying? I think, I think, I think this type of thing is really cool because it shows people. You know, it show. It's obvious that you care about it, and it shows people. Hey, you can also do this kind of movie. Remember, like you could do this kind of movie too. Yeah. And it's obviously something that he only did because he cared about. Because he doesn't yeah. have to do this. Yeah, it, it's 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 it is wonderful. And what's nice too is people are like. You know, we're at South by Southwest, and you're starting to see what people what people think. And 
people are connecting a lot to my earlier work and that I feel like it's the same voice as, as swingers and, 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 and made and the same type of humor. And now it's different because with swingers, they know who are these guys, what's going on now. It's kind of like, I'm, I'm like, there are people who, who've seen that movie a lot and they'll get my rhythms and my sense of humor and it's, and it, and, and they'll give it a shot and people who don't, and I don't need everybody to show up. Like on the big ones, you need the people who kind of don't dig what you do to like it too. You know, <laughs> so you got to kind of like have a very. You know, it's got to be a big tent that fits everyone in it. This one, as long as everybody who buys a ticket who who likes my stuff or likes the food world, foodies or people who want to see something a father son story and something that's again everything now is about escapism. This is about like looking at really looking at 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 real issues in a fun way and in a, in a hopefully uplifting way and that's kind of more the purview of stand-up comedy or essayists or but movies tend to all be now big escapist let's see what somebody else is dealing with yeah. this is like hopefully you recognize the use of social media you know like the whole twitter thing yeah, and facebook yeah. thing and having getting into getting sucked into that whole world and being a Luddite first learning how to use that stuff and making an ass of yourself with it and ruining thinking you're ruining your life by tweeting the wrong thing. (laughs) (laughs) I've been there. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, so that, that's what, that's kind of what we're, what we're going for here and, and that people are, are, are laughing and digging it and, and feeling something most importantly. Uh, that's great. And that also like the chefs, are, are looking at it and saying we got the food thing right because so many movies had not uh, and to, to really learn about the world of being a chef and having that point of view and making food like, like you were saying or no, who, who was saying to me about who, who they ate was it oh, not you? Oh, Debbie was saying. I'm sorry. Debbie was saying she 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 saw it and she she made the mistake of going in on an empty stomach. And, oh yeah, yeah. Then no, you, I was you starving. Were going to eat afterwards. Yeah. Okay, and, and just sort of in closing, uh, so I'm gonna. I, I just want to pitch you an idea, pitch you a, ske- a, a sketch idea. I think it's, I think it's gonna, I think it's a winner. Okay. Um, uh, dinner for five, Avengers. Put them all at a table yes. and just let them have a conversation. As... Wasn't that what they that did? In the, the, like, did the they do the shawarma, shawarma scene? Thing. Wasn't they that kind of? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But yeah, that would be you know to have in costume, just talking about being too. Oh no, not just the not the actors, like the actual like get the Avengers, Iron Man, Cap, Thor, the Hulk, just shooting the shit and just talking about the normal things that these that these characters. Well, that's what Josh. Does do doesn't he? <laughs> Isn't that what Josh's thing is? Is like just make him talk about make normal talk about shit because you got the cast. I mean, once you got the chess pieces there, you you know what I mean. You could, and this is like the stuff I know. I don't know everything about what's going on with Avengers, but what I do know is it's really cool and really fun, and and seeing it all what it's grown into is still is a little surreal for me to see. That how it's not just living and dying by one film or so a trilogy of films, it, but it's like this whole, this whole kind of open source comic book playground that that, that it's turned into that now even has remote worlds that have the opportunity to bring some excitement to it, and then also now what's happening with like. I want to see what's going on with Spider-Man. I mean, excuse me, Superman and, and Batman. I want to see what they do. I want to see what's going on now with all the Spider-Man stuff and the villains. And yeah. you know, let's see 
now there's a, a subgenre of interconnecting different IPs that are controlled by the same studios, and it, it which really emulates what the what the comic book labels would do. Absolutely, yeah. you know. So so it's really becoming an even larger representation of the form. So that and to me that is very. Uh, that is incredibly complicated and fascinating to watch. Hmm. Would you please? And again, uh, this you enjoy your burrito. That I was, that's what I was going to ask okay. you. Yeah, because Does that count or do I have to do it? Uh, no, you do I have to just, say it like Hitchhiker's Guide. Throw it away. Throw away the line. Enjoy your. Uh, do I have to say myself? No, just say enjoy your. Burrito. I think you would just say it. I said three times. Yeah, there's, there's a, we started to say three times. So he's like, uh, it's if you do it five it's times. My stamp candy candy you get a free burrito. It's like, <laughs> it's like Bob Newhart. Bob Newhart when he came up to me uh, on, on the set of Elf, and he said, uh, John, I just, I just, uh, can I? I just want to say something. I'm just, I'm not. Um, I, I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm not good at looping. <laughs> Inside joke. Uh, look uh, it up on the internet. What looping is, if you don't know. Uh, enjoy your burrito. Swish. Um, I gotta ask you. There, is, there's there's a shot in uh, in Chef uh, when you get back from the road trip yes. and you open the door. Yes. And so is that is that a reference to swingers? It might, I, not consciously. Okay. But if you look at the room and you look at the thing, and there's a lot of. Of course, it's about the sun and not about. The girl, yeah, right? not about the girl exactly. That's, that's kind of thought a, I would. That's a spoiler, though. Oh, uh, is that part of? We can. <laughs> yeah, are we I was just curious, but is like, it, there's a, there's a. I don't know. Is it a spoiler? It's not, maybe it's not. It's a spoiler. just a shot. Really. It's, it's a shot. It's, it's a yeah. There's there's what happens. What happens is you, and I would, I did a Q and A with with James Cameron, so I looked at all of his work back to back, and you start to see things, shots, characters, situations. You keep coming back to those things. Yeah. And it's almost like an artist doing a study, like a painter. If you look at like the sculptures leading to the Pieta, there's a, a sculpture of a hand. Yeah. A, now, the, the artist might not know they're doing that. Filmmakers are not that different, though. You're constantly drawn to similar dynamics, archetypes, tones, themes. And so I was not consciously like, I'm going to reference my own thing. But as I watched it, I was like, wow, this is, there's a lot of, there's 20 years later. There's a there's an echo of it, but not clearly enough that it felt it felt. But you really had. But for me, who knows every shot? I was yeah. like, boy, I, I didn't realize because I was in the scene. I sort of just set it up and That's, like here yeah. it is. And the apartment also has sort of washed out because yeah, there's be a lot, a lot of wall, color on there. Yeah. And that was with, with with swingers as well. And I guess it was back because it was outside. So yeah, I'm, I guess I'm drawn to that. That sense of the home as like this cell, yeah, yeah, it's like yeah, exactly. prison cell. Yeah. And he was he was going back to it. It was just yeah. it was such a good like you know it and was, a one sided phone call with 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 emotional impact too, which is also which I did notice as we were doing that. Yeah, and uh, but you know it, it's really in a, you're, you're seeing um, that's what's nice about having a very pure uh, expression in a movie of something that's just coming out of your brain and you're not going through the gauntlet of scrutiny or or adjustment is you're going to get a very clear snapshot of what's interesting to me at this moment and and what's interesting is in its pure form it does go back to the last time I, I had that that uh, freedom which was to to just write something and then take that script and get it made yeah and you know I haven't really done that since since I've rewritten I've done work on Elf I've rewritten and done work on Iron Man I've done work on things that have not been made things that have been made the page to uh, screen uh, but just yeah. right from your guts onto the page 
make certain adjustments, but not so much, and not really question what it is or what it's about, but just know that it's it's inspired, and then have that hit the screen in a very uh, accurate way is, um, again, not, not for the faint of heart and not something I, I think I'm going to be doing all the time, but boy, do I, did I have, I had the best time on this one, and I'm so happy with how it turned out. So it was a really good, really gratifying year. You can tell, like, there's, it, the movie is just so fun to watch, and just there's, and I like the way it was, you were able to talk about just, like, food culture and internet culture and, like, you know, parenting, and also just there was a road trip aspect to it. Yeah, and, which and, was, like, that's yeah. like, like like Easy Rider. Like they just took the camera and the motorcycles and they just went across the yeah. south. It was like, let's do that. Yeah, like that let's go great. to Austin and New Orleans and let's just let that be our backdrop. Why not? Yeah, why not? And uh, you know, we spent like a day or two in each city. Like it wasn't oh, no way. We spent a day in Austin. We shot all that stuff. And uh, you know, so it's just it just had that freedom of you know, and and then also shooting like First Friday at, at Abiquini in Venice with all the food yeah. trucks. Uh, let, you know, uh, while it was really on, and put up signs saying, "Hey, if you're here, you're going to be in the in the movie." Yeah. <laughs> and to get that energy, like Swingers had of the real environment. So yeah, 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 yeah. And that's what I think. In each town you went in, it just that is another thing that reminds me. Swingers so indicative of like the east side of just like you know, Los yeah. Fields and you know, yeah. the neighborhoods I've lived in since I moved out here. Yeah. But it's just like you know, like when you went to Austin, it was just like, oh, it's a cool like Austin outdoor. You know, and by Gueros and there yeah. by like you know by you know like the right. Neighborhood. Yes. Same thing. And we went to like Frenchman Street and the Marigny, and we yeah. didn't go to like Bourbon Street. We went to the yeah. cool spots in each town yeah. and had the cool music playing, and get that again the authenticity of it because everything they want you to do when they give you the money is like okay, well if we go to this city we could get a rebate and you could make it look like <laughs> yeah, that. yeah, yeah. It's like you don't get it. It's the real like I really have to go to Little Havana and really go to this Cuban club hoy como air because that's where i saw a real band and that's what i want it to feel like i don't want it to just be some place that we hang up signage yeah in in the valley you know it had and the extras look different and the band should be from there and so between the music and the food it it, it got you know there's a real texture to it that gets rubbed away so quickly on the big studio films and just being a soft r to be honest with you where you know, it's no worse than something you can watch on YouTube. We dropped more than one F bomb, and now, now all of a sudden we're R, which was the same thing with Swingers, the same really thing with silly. Mate. I mean, there's, yeah. nothing, there's really nothing about the movie that I would go, that's an R rated comedy. Yeah, when you said that earlier, I was actually no. confused by it. But you can't have, you know, okay. I want the, the, the chefs, you know, are like, kitchens are not PG places. There's R language in, in the, the kitchen. Have been to it on Xbox Live? Do they not know? That's what I'm saying. Teenagers are, My yeah. kids want, you know, but the problem is that the model of, and this is part of why, you know, the digital age is, you know, encroaching on the movies. Because the, the movies are still, you know, you could cut people's heads off or have... You know, uh, <laughs> be PG PG thirteen, yeah. uh, and but if you if you have you know one fuck might slip by a kid, I guess, but two now you're in trouble. <laughs> now you got problems. Uh, but that was what I wanted the characters to speak in a real way, and yeah. um, and so 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 it is that. But again, just if you keep the budget down, you could have that freedom. But I just want to do all the things that I wouldn't would never be allowed to do. All the little changes you make to double your take at the box office. You know, PG movies don't do much do better than R movies, unless it's a shocking R, like a horror movie or yeah. like a, a, a brash comedy that takes full advantage of it. But this is something where, you know, you lose some of your audience, but I think the audience you get is going to feel more closely connected to it. And, and certainly I'm going to feel more connected to it. Yeah. And and that was, uh, I just wanted to be something, have something that was a 
sincere expression of what I was going after. Yeah, Anytime you want to promote something or even just come yeah, on, you yeah. are more than welcome to... I mean, not that you're... you're Understand you're very busy, but anytime I like talking. You're easy to talk to. My God, it's so much fun. You well, know? please shoot me an email anytime. I'm we got just... a lot of um, also like uh, j- j- I think all the Jungle Book stuff. Once that starts to uh, come up, when w- with the technology, my favorite, my favorite Disney film is it? Yeah, Jungle Book. My favorite. Well, are you really... doing more Roger Kipling? Or are you doing more? Well, we're trying. I mean, the, the the what's cool about it is that we have both, and the Kipling is great because it's this. I love you know the you know I'm a Star Wars fan, and that whole Joseph Campbell approach too. Mythic archetypes uh, is so uh, intrinsic to the the Kipling work, but the Kipling work has a, a very uh, harsh tone yeah. at its core. And most people's experience with Jungle Book was the '67 animated film yeah. that definitely drew upon it. But it was more it was it was Walt's last movie, and there's this cool endless summer vibe to the bonding of him and Baloo that is not necessarily implied in the Kipling, and but that's part of our DNA as a Disney film. So I want to see if I could preserve uh, some of the tone of, 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 the, of the Disney film while exploring, you know, you're able to make things a little more adventurous and intense and, and real world by, by pulling in facts from the Kipling. And I was very well served in the, in, in, in the Marvel world by paying honor to the underlying the underlying IP, but still trying to preserve the tone of what that medium pr- presented. So there was a fun, there was there was a personality to Iron Man as they, as was expressed in, in in the books, and there's a tone implied by the film version. But there's there's a cool intensity and something that makes it feel a little bit more relevant and a little bit more exciting and if you could combine the two in a way that doesn't betray either that's the sweet spot for me and so as we're pull, starting to pull cast in you know it's 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 getting very exciting and the process could take a whole other hour to talk about what we're learning and, and, and the approach that we're taking because it's it's really an interesting way to break use this technology that I got to play with with, with Iron Man in a way that now delves into not just the world of spectacle and humor, but also into the world of emotion and yeah. and showing things that you couldn't show ten years ago. Because isn't that it? Why redo it? Well, you only redo it if there's a reason to. Yeah. If there's a, if there's a uh, if you can do something now that you couldn't do, like you couldn't do Iron Man ten years before. No, 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 it wouldn't have been yeah. possible. But in a post Transformers world, now hard yeah. surfaces were much more convincing, and it didn't take you out of the movie to see it. I did. I got. Um... The Nerdist produced a, we, we helped produce a contest for Make-A-Wish and the prize was to go to the ranch and, mm-hmm. and, and have breakfast with George. He talked for like an hour and a half. Yeah. Just all these incredible stories about, about how multiplexes were born on the yes. backs of, you know, of Jaws and Godfather yes. and Star Wars all coming out and all this stuff. And, uh, he said, you know, and in just the course of the conversation, which made me go, aha, he's cool. He's aware. He goes, you know, everyone hated Jar Jar Binks, but if it hadn't been for Jar Jar Binks, there wouldn't have been an Avatar, you know? <laughs> like, we had to develop the technology. And he also described, he said after American Graffiti got popular, um, it, it blew up. Alan Ladd said to him, like, what movie do you want to do next? And he was like, and I thought I was crazy. I, mean, I said I wanted to do a, I don't know, it's a space opera where a dog flies a starship. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's how he kind of described the movie. It's, he's so, I mean, it, he's not kidding with that edit droid. That's the Avid. 
Pixar, so much of it came out of his, his, you know, that little hot rod builder from Northern California, that skinny yeah. kid. That same brain is what made all those innovations happen that allow us to do everything we do and all this freedom that we have. Do you know what he's doing now? No, I don't. He basically has set aside a shit ton of money and he's just making art films. Is oh, he really cool. That he's never going to show anyone. Like, they, oh. the guys asked him the table, so, like, they just couldn't understand. They were like, so you're going to show these in limited release? He's like, no, oh, I'm not going to show anybody. They're just for me. <laughs> he's going to make, like, that's Paul. Right. He's spent the rest that's of his really life cool. making oh these, like, $5 million art films that are experimental, which is he what loves, he always wanted to do. He loved tone poems, yeah? Yeah. And that's that it. That's his thing. That's all he's going to do. Although, I would love him to do, you know, I'd love to see what his American graffiti is now. You know what I mean? Yes, yeah. his chef. Like coming back way later I and doing a more. Him, even if it's just about what it's like to be a billionaire. <laughs> <laughs> like, I want to see that movie or what it's like to, to, to be, you know, to, to have that much attention on him. And he clearly is aware and has a sense of humor. I keep thinking of how the robot chicken stuff. Where oh, yeah, yeah. Riding with the guy dressed as the Tauntaun around. <laughs> you, remember, you remember that one? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, you can't. I mean, you can't. You, he's. He's un. Um, he's sort. You, you can't knock him off guard. Like he is prepared for anything that you could say to him. Yeah. Because my girlfriend's dad did the special effects for Star Wars, and the first time I met him, I wore this like original crew shirt. Uh huh. Which wow. I thought he was going to be like, oh my god, I, mean, I haven't seen. I mean, I, this is amazing. You, you know? win. Yeah. <laughs> you, you get the chocolate factory. I've been waiting for you. And, and what ended up happening was, I mean, I kept positioning myself where my chest was in full view, and uh, and finally, I, I just I ruined it. And I was like, by the way, this is an, no. this is an original Star Wars. And he was like, yeah, I know. Nice. You know what I'm <laughs> That's great. Now leaving nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. <laughs>